the word except the word acceptance you used Reese is is a big one and a big one for me really because it was wasn't until I accepted that I have this and it's always going to be there and even accepted that I had taken an overdose and was able to say I've actually I took an overdose because I wanted to die yeah. it was when I was able to do that that everything almost became easier for me I was like okay this did happen yeah. but I don't have to be fully um, it doesn't have to hold me back that was Brad Fleming and welcome back to another edition of the Harris Health and Mind podcast. So guys, welcome back to the Harris Health and Mind podcast. Today's guest is Bradley Fleming. Um, known Brad since we was in college together playing football. Um, Brad's coming on to the show today to speak about basically his story. And um, yeah, welcome on Brad. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That's all right. Um, yeah, so I just want to dive into everything today um, and just, yeah, speak about upbringing, um, everything from, you know, youngster age to to now, really. And, you know, what was your life like growing up? Sports, everything. What sort of process did you go through? Um, and, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited, mate. you got you got a lot of time, so let's get into it. Um, yes, I mean, obviously we met college and the whole football thing yeah um this was eight eight nine eight nine years ago now yes so it's a long time getting old Reese. getting old um but yeah i mean growing up you could say the normal normal upbringing um probably better off than normal i was very fortunate i was traveled a lot when i was young um my mum with my mum back and forth to grenada which is well, she was born here, but that's basically her home. Yeah. I travelled a lot back and forth with her. So I've, I had a good childhood, a good upbringing um, and with my mum and my stepdad. Um, yeah, I can't really say... I've got no no bad things about nah, my childhood. That's good. That's good to hear, mate. Some some people always have some little things, I guess, to say in childhood, but nah, that's good. Well, um I want to dive into everything today because we're sort of going to get onto the topic in terms of um, anxiety, depression, um, yeah. sort of that side of uh, the coin. Um, I'd just like to start off by saying before we get started that I myself am not, um, you know, a fully qualified mental health practitioner. Um, we're sort of talking um, about our um stories of life i guess you could say and um our challenges in life and and obviously everything we've gone through and um we'll dive into little bits of research myself and and brad um and also brad in terms of him being in this field and um and having um his own upbringing struggles um he can obviously testify to certain things as well so um those that are listening in um what would you say, Brad, in terms of if they're listening into something and they say, oh, I may have this trigger, um, you know, um, but Brad or Reese has said something, should they take this word for it? Or would you suggest them uh, to go and, you know, the next point of call, what would you suggest? I think, um, first of all, I want to say that probably some things that might be said in the next hour or so um, could be potentially triggering for people who 
mm. are suffering with depression or things. But um, yeah, it's just going to be an honest sort of open conversation about my experiences. But if you hear something that I say and you think, oh, that might that I recognise that or I recognise that symptom or things, um, the first thing, go to your GP. Mm. If you're say you're you're struggling with, you've been low for a long time or um, you're anxious to the point where it's stopping you doing things. Go to the GP because then you're in the system. Yeah. Um, it might not be the best system in the world, um, which we'll get onto a bit more. Everyone's got their faults. Yeah. That. Um, um, and and speak to people. Mm. Don't you speak to anyone though, because sometimes you need to find the person who will actually listen to you. Yeah, I think that yeah, that's what you said there. The key is the listen. I think. Yeah. Hundred percent. Because I think um, there's a lot of uh, promotion of. Um, open be open or especially amongst men like you see yeah. these tribes now um be open and talk um but i feel sometimes you could be talking to the wrong person and you don't get the uh the benefit from that that you could if you're talking to someone who was open empathetic and receptive 100 percent. so yeah that would be the two things i'd be find the right person um which is not always easy no. you might have some people that you go to and you think they're going to be the right person um but they might not be um, but also at the end, I'll have I've got a few sort of numbers and things that I'd want to give out and 100%, just yeah. to people, just you know, other other ideas because some people haven't got um, people close to them that they can talk to or that they feel comfortable talking to. Of course, uh, yeah, I think the key thing to take from that is definitely the listening. Um, find someone who will listen and also. Um, Maybe as well do a little bit of research. I wouldn't yeah, say I, I wouldn't say over research it because sometimes that can trigger that um, mm. anxiety in you know if you've got depression or even you know serious states of anxiety. I think over research and sometimes when specifically if you don't have people to speak to that are listening and that can also give you some advice. I think that can be a little bit of a over trigger and um, you know bring on more things so definitely 100%. do a little bit of research you don't need to dive too much into it but no. I think um, being able to sort of understand yeah. what's maybe going on um, can make things a bit easier and I think some sort of understanding if you're also going to your GP you can also say then um, these are uh, the potential things I'm struggling with. Um, I've done this sort of research this into this then they can sort of come from the angle of okay it's you know, it may be a particular area that we need to focus on yeah. here or, you know, dive into that field. So, yeah, for sure. So people that are listening in, um, obviously, yeah, um, stay stay listening and stay tuned because Brad's going to give out a lot of very, very good information. Well, um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> nah, even speaking to you off air, there's, yeah, there's loads of things that 100% people can take on board, 100%. Um, just sort of getting into the early stages, I want to mm. speak about how although loads of people on 100% agree with and I'm in this field that um, sports is such a great tool um, and an advocate for obviously releasing a lot of stress um, in the body. Um, what's your take on, I'm going to get into it quite specifically with football, what's your take on um, football from an early age maybe producing um, anxiety in children? Um, I think it's uh, something that happens 100%. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, like yourself, came up in well Colchester United Centre yeah. of Excellence Academy, wherever it might be, seeing people around that um, got released, um, 
the football environment, I guess, is probably improving now. But it was a very sort of um, is manly the right word? Um, very, yeah, very. It was very. The, anyway, the coaches that I had or were around me, apart from a few, um, probably didn't know really how to speak to a eleven-year-old boy to tell them that mm. their dream of you know being a footballer is being put on hold and uh i remember i have one close friend i remember when he got told about him being released we used to travel up to colchester together and he was yeah in bits mm. crying tears that, that that the dream was over not that he was told in the way that it's still possible to come back and you know Work yeah, and get there. It's it's not, it's not your last shot. You're eleven. No. Yeah, you're eleven <laughs> you're years old. You're 11, eleven, twelve years old. Um, Just and, started out in the game. But at that moment, it felt like everything was was shattered. Mm. I mean, at twelve years old, what is that all about? And it was that moment, or just before that, or after that. I, had, um, at being a culture at that time, I left because mm. there was too much pressure, and I wanted to play with my friends. Yeah. Which um, I was fortunate enough that I had my mum and my stepdad were like, well, "You can do whatever you want to do." Because um, I think pressure can also come from family. Of course. I, within football. Yeah, I think the football's so vast as well and so broad. Like you're speaking on the parts there where it's sort of like the ugly side in terms mm. of, right, it's decision whether you're under 11s, we're going to give you a two year deal. Or if you're under 14s, you're going to get a two year deal to go into 16s or 16s to get a scholar. Probably, yeah. Those sorts of things um, can definitely bring it on. But in terms of just like everyday coaching, um, so not even necessarily in a youth setup, mm -hmm. I'm talking maybe more in terms of where there's going to be hundreds of thousands of kids that play in Sunday league football, I, I think a lot of that can come down from the coaches. Not even I'm not talking about the ones that are, um, you know, parent coaches or you know parents of the teams um, coaching aside. I'm talking about you know coaches that have gone and got their badges. Um, I think from what I've seen in the last few years, you you can see it in the kids. There's a lot of fear of making mistakes. Yeah. And like you're talking about, that pressure comes into it. Mm -hmm. Do I do I have... It's not all about now. Maybe when we were playing, it was, you know, you could probably look back and say it's the pressure of the parents and you always see that. But I think you look at... Like, I've seen, I've gone to games where I've coached clients and, you know, uh, and their parents are like, you need to help me bring confidence back into the kid. And, you know, I'm seeing this kid and I'm like they're very confident what you know i don't i don't see it and then when i go to their games i'm hearing their coaches shouting and screaming because they miss from eight yards out and yeah. i think you you can't expect to whether you're 16 18 12 9 7 you can't expect someone how how can you physically expect someone to react in a positive manner when all they're trying to do is hit the back of the net from eight yards out exactly and you know what if we bring it back to something that's relevant right now Manchester United, yeah, right. Is the th it? It works from an adult all the, from a child all the way down, yeah. all, all the ways. Confidence can be zapped out of you by someone who, basically, if you don't, they don't think they believe in you, or they're shouting at you when you've done something wrong. Mm. Um, for example, going on tours abroad, probably went with Colin and yeah, went with Colin. When we went to um, Holland, the coaching was in a way that if you made a mistake, it was okay. Mm. Because you're, 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 you've got to try these things. You don't get to the... Messi didn't become... Well, maybe Messi might be a bit... He's just unbelievable. But some Ronaldo, for example, didn't become Ronaldo by not making mistakes. You are going to make mistakes, but you don't. You can't be shut down constantly and constantly. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. That's fine, go on, mate. Having, having someone um, having a go at you on the sideline, 
especially like you send your clients, you know what they're like, and they're a completely different person in an environment. That environment's mm. not healthy. And I think it's also it's a difficult one because also you need to understand I think it's understanding the needs of the certain individual as yeah, well isn't 100%. it like and you can yep. talk about you know Manchester United and um, Jose Mourinho and stuff as an example mm. because clearly whether he's gone in there first of all and said this is me this is the style of play that I want I might be quite pragmatic I might be quite aggressive in my style I might go out in the media and say that I don't believe in my players I need more players but I trust you like 100% you know, we're in this together. If he, I think if he would have gone from that standpoint, which I'm assuming, again, assumptions of the mother of all fuck-ups. <laughs> that's another one from the car. Um, I'm assuming he's gone in and he's probably just, you know, ego's gotten away. Right, I've won X amount of titles. I'm going to do mm-hmm. exactly the same here. He's probably not gone in and been putting an arm around certain players that need the confidence or said, I trust you 100% um, to their face. I might, you know, back you off in the media, but, you know, you're my guy or you guys are my team. He's obviously gone in and, you know, slammed the whole team. And you can see with the, every squad yeah, player that comes in, every Rashford, squad Rashford player that see the other moment, comes think. in and plays, yeah. you're just like, you know, you're killing this player's confidence and you need to think about what you're doing. And a lot in, of people don't. Individuality is definitely what, if you form a coaching, you've got to understand every different pla- every player. Every mm. player is different. You're not going to walk down the street and speak to everyone the same way, even within your own family. No. You, know, you can speak to one person one way. You might be able to have a bit of a laugh with, say, one brother, and the other brother, yeah. you know, you can't say that to him because they might punch you in the head or something. Mm. So it's the same when it comes to like in football. Yeah. I've, also, as well, I think the the key thing for some listeners, you know, some people will turn around and go, well, are you trying to say that? you know, you can't have a go at anyone now or people can't, make, you know, yeah. everyone has to make mistakes and no one's going to care if you make mistakes. I think that's different. And um, there was a there was a clip the other day that I saw from the NFL, which was quite interesting, to be fair. There was two pros sitting on the on the bench or on the bleachers, that they call it. Yeah. And um, they're, one of their coaches, again, because they have like five, six different coaches and formation coaches in the NFL, shouting and screaming this information at the two players and the video's gone zooming straight into the two and instead of the two sitting there and looking away or you know having their head in their hands or yeah. looking frustrated or you know mad they were looking at their coach nodding he was shouting and screaming the information so i think there's also ways that the way that you handle the individual people can actually take on that information if it even does come ag- across to certain individuals watching on the TV as yeah. aggressive, people can actually take that information on. But I think there's the process at the start that you need to address first, like you said, understanding the individual. Because mm. if you know that individual can take a little bit of criticism or can take someone getting at you aggressively, and they need that in their games, those two players might go on and absolutely smash someone or get a winning play from that. And mm-hmm. they've needed that and their coaches understood that. Whereas I think some people sometimes I think think it either has to be right, no shouting at the individual or literally, literally just making loads of mistakes and no one cares and football's all sunshine and roses. Mm-hmm. I think there's the balance and like you say, it's getting that in between, which is key yeah. for me yeah. anyway. Everyone's everyone's uh, things that motivate them are different. Mm. As I was saying, some people need a, a good shouting at to get them going. Some people need the arm around the shoulder and be like, I believe in you. Mm two completely different sides of the coin but to get the best performance out of that individual yeah 
It's an interesting one. There you go. He's got yeah. a little cough I'm trying, I'm trying to keep the cough coming. Nah. I've had this cough for about three months. There okay. you go. Mate. I'm good. No, you're good. Um, so, yeah, obviously, speaking on that side in, in football, I think for me personally, it's what, what would you say in terms of um, people listening and maybe thinking, actually, do you know what? I am maybe a bit harsh on my kids um, that I'm coaching. How, how do I, you know, tailor that back? Or how do I, what's, for me, what's the next process and how how do I do it? What would your advice be on that if they're listening and they um, say, do you know what? Yeah, you know, I need to change my ways. Uh, I think the, the first thing to, well, not the first thing, one thing you've got to do is communicate with each each one of your, the children that you're coaching. Mm. Um, children, teenagers, whatever age they might be. Um, get to know them. Yes, you're there to be for football, mm. but you think of that age that are spending a lot of time with you as a an adult around that, around two hours a week, four hours a week, wherever it might be. Mm. Get to know them as a person. 100%. And once you get to know them as a person, you'll understand what motivates them. And it's just, it's nice, it's been friendly. The thing is, so stupid that it's literally, it's, it's quite a simple thing. Everyone wants to be loved. Oh yeah, of course they it's do. It's so simple. Like everyone wants to be, if you can, like you say, understand that individual and that person, you know, if, you, if you've taken that time, you know when they've come to training mm-hmm. and they've got a face on them, you know, right, I either, depending on that character, I either need to then build things up slowly with that individual yep. or I need to then go out. That individual might be showing signs where they want you to come over and, you know, ask. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. people, you know, they might not have anyone. So, their body language will tell you and the individuality will tell you, right, you know, someone come over, ask me, how am I? How are you, you know, And yeah. it's just that simple thing. How are you doing today? You know, you don't have to be like, you look down today, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's the way you approach it. You know, you might be, it might be the, you're doing a drill and they've smashed a shot wide and you're jogging over to get a ball and you just go, oh, you know, how are you doing today, little Johnny? Mm. You know, look a little bit that. Like, do you want to speak about anything or... You know what's playing on your mind or whatever. Like, I think it's the way you approach it, and if you settle with it, and you can understand them, massively helps. Definitely, because it's it's a for for a child. You've got you've got your teachers who are an authoritative figure. You've got your parents who are an authoritative figure. And sometimes that child might not feel they can talk, even mm. if it's just about football to their parents or the teacher or whatever it might be. But football's a little bit different. Yeah, it's the easier to easy. Everyone's talking and socialising. It's a little bit easier to maybe get something off your chest even about football yeah. for them to for you to go oh what even say you said it's about the, the kid missing the shot instead of going that was shit johnny yeah maybe don't say that to an eight-year-old you know but <laughs> good, good <laughs> advice first off <laughs> <laughs> um say ask them what do you feel you did wrong why did you do that what mm. why didn't you take the touch and then open up that dialogue that way mm. rather but, than um rather than yeah just getting onto them too but much. i think that's such a good point you raise there because also you're asking them the question and it's getting them to trigger a thought like, okay, why did I take the shot? Did I rush? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I, you know, could I have taken a touch? Could I have switched it onto my other foot? And then also, it's, there's then comes in the learning phase for them because yes. you're asking them, you're creating that dialogue between them, you're creating that thought process and then hopefully the next time that may arise, they've thought about it because you've asked them that question. Whereas if you go straight into it and you're like, miss a shot, all the thing that's going to come up on the next time is can't miss, can't Can't miss, miss. can't miss, can't miss. And then all that pressure comes in and the stress comes in and then people will either go for a safe shot Mm -hmm. or they'll either put their foot through the ball and 
you know, whatever happened, what happened next. And it becomes the, like, the negative of can't miss rather than what can I do to score. Yeah, and you, then you're not learning because you, you're just putting your foot through the ball and you're hoping mm. as opposed to, okay, the coach has pulled me out or whatever or after the game said, why did you take a touch there? You know, or, you know, what could you have done better? And then you're creating a thought process or even may, may simulate it in training for you. And then it comes up in a game and then there becomes the learning if you're receptive to that as the individual. And again, both fields from the coach. So Within the, the learning, it's about, um, you will hear this term intelligent footballers. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, you say intelligent footballers. But a lot of, I think a lot of, um, if you want to say, the intelligence is coached out of people. 100%. Because they're not allowed to make the mistake to learn or they learn and then it's, you need to do this, not, what did you do? Let's have a discussion about it. Yeah. What could you do? It's do this, do that. That's it. And I think it's that coaching is, you hear it loads of times as well, but I think it is so, I think it is simple when you break everything down. Yeah. When you literally break everything down and you could say, right, what would I like to get out of this session with my group of 15 year olds? What are they going to get from this session that I put in? And then the rest of it, what mistakes are they going to make? But it's not even you're listing anything. It's okay, cool. They can make mistakes in this drill. Cool, they can do this in this drill. It's not a sense of, right, this has to be structured. A lot of coaches now, I think, um, especially in academies, a lot of coaches, they have to do so many session plans and write so many things out. And it's almost like you're over-structurating the, sh- the session and it's planned to a T when even if it does go right, you, you almost feel like it's nothing's going right. Yeah. Because yeah. you're you want so much out of it and you can't, you're not allowing any, you know, chance for mistakes or freedom or, you know, creativity in it, which I think as kids as well is crazy. If, you know, you're going to structured sessions the whole time and you can't express yourself. I, I am. It's funny. I'd say my, until the age of about 14, 15, when I I went back to Colchester at the time, I was like, okay, I'm ready to try this whole football thing. Mm. Um, And I was, a few of my friends, I was very, um, I'll try things. I would do things that were ridiculous mm. because I could. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, of yeah. course. I know that sounds yeah, um, cocky, but at that age, you do things and you could. But then when I back, got back, went back to Colchester and that rigidity came back, um, my confidence went through the floor mm. because there was, I had to do this, this X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, um, playing as a striker. I had to drop deep into the hole to get the ball to play it off. Yeah. I couldn't do that running behind into the channel or get the ball and turn and run because there wasn't the sport. The phases had to play to the exact yeah. phase of play. Well, That's what two or three phases of play yeah. at the age of sixteen and well fifteen, sixteen and I'm like But what I want to do naturally I wasn't allowed to do and mm. express. And I remember from probably from the age of about 15 race I don't think I've taken a player on since now I was just about to bring that up because you see that now and I watch and you watch games I don't know how many players now coming through the system or not even necessarily coming through the system players that are 22 23 upwards Mm. I don't know how many players now are wingers I haven't seen I haven't seen a winger in in years in terms of someone like an Iron Robin when he burst on the scene or even a Damien Duff where you get you know get the ball dribble at someone a little shift or a little step over shift cross even Joe Cole yeah Yeah, Joe Cole but I haven't I I think you're like you say you make such a good point of coaching that out of players I Mm. think where 
create, especially now with obviously Pep coming and, and the whole passing regime. And I think that's great for the game and a massive advocate the way he plays. But he's also an advocate of players making mistakes as well, yes. which is yeah. key. Um, but I think some clubs, and especially at the youth level, you see it now. I go to so many, and I've played so many games where, you know, at Sudbury we played like Ipswich, you know, under 18s, under 23s, mm. and it's so much get the ball back from the keeper, pass, 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 pass. But even the wingers that you're facing, they're not wingers anymore. They're, 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 you. they're drifting yeah, yeah, yeah. inside and when they drift inside it's they pass the ball or there's so many times where you're you're three quarters up the pitch and you think you you expect someone who's in that position of a winger or an attacking player to beat you it's right I'll go back yeah. I'll just pass back but not even like I'm going to pass back in and make a, um, a five yard um, creative movement to try and get the ball again like old school wingers would do or maybe create space to you know have a bit more space for me to then dribble at a defender no it's literally yeah, I'll just pass the ball back and jog or stand still waiting for the next phase of play and it's so frustrating to watch because I think it's monotonous where almost that it's in the head mm-hmm. where they get to a certain point in the pitch and say right we've been coached this and training let's pass back no I've got to pass that in there yeah I can't like, lose the ball. And it's so frustrating. I think, like you say, you raised such a good point. When you come out of that little academy like structure or setup, mm-hmm. well, not necessarily just academy, I guess, maybe places where you're not enjoying it or it's monotonous. Yeah. And then you go into enjoying it again and happy that you make mistakes or the level might not be as good, but you're enjoying it. So you're being more creative and more free. Mm-hmm. You find so much more joy in that because it's like, right. This is actually what I actually did like doing when I was six, seven years old or whenever I first started. 100%. And talking about the wingers, just wanted to put this. You, you're the team, I was able to play in with you a lot, you're a year older than me sometimes. Yeah. Um, you got to the the semi-final, the national semi-finals yeah. by passing the ball to you. You going down the wing, crossing it in. Yeah. And one of the strikers, bend, when yeah. Ben's in there putting bends it in, in or Sam's in there yeah. putting it in. It works. Mm. I know. Yes, the passing football is brilliant and things, but we we have lost a part of the of the game mm. for sure. And I think that yeah, that definitely does need to change. But you know, that's that's for other people, I guess. That's not for us. To, <laughs> you know, we could we could debate it's just, it. It's just our opinion, it. isn't it? Yeah, it's just, just the opinion of yeah. two boys in Colchester. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess uh, I guess I guess Mourinho and things they've they've done a bit better than us in the coaching game. Yeah, well, just for, yeah. only for now though. Just a little they, bit, yeah. Reece. Just a little bit, Mourinho. Yeah. We're catching you. Yeah, we're catching you. Who, who knows? We'll who knows, see one mate. in the last year, eh? Exactly. Yeah, what have I won the last year? <laughs> Nothing, Mourinho. We're level, mate. We're level. Don't worry about that. It's a pass of the past. Starting level from the moment. same point. So I mean, only as good as your last job, mate. Only as good as your last job. 2019. We're both on even playing fields, Mourinho. I'm coming for you. Now. Yeah, no, so that's, yeah, that, that, I think that's a good point to raise. And, um, yeah, and, mate, football's always changing. And I guess that's that's part of the game. We've, yeah, it's um, evolving. Everything evolves, isn't it? You know, and I guess as we're getting older, we're going to probably sound like to people that are listening that are much younger than us that are like, oh my God, like, you know, what are you, what are you trying to ruin the game for? <laughs> like, they've yeah. already went around. Moved on. What is this? Yeah. Just but, like we're about, we go back and we're talking about uh, Victorian days. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You think no, Messi's the greatest player of any of it. You didn't see Maradona. Yeah, the old rubber ball. Yeah, we're not that old. (laughs) Right, we're in. Nice little technical difficulty there. (laughs) Had us going for ages. You tried everything, and literally, it's just. It was just the USB connection on the mic that actually messed up. So, uh, yeah, live and you learn, I guess. But hey, back got on. The end. Got the end. Nah, got the end. Nah, got the end. Sweet. Um, so, yeah, obviously the topic of conversation um, is sort of linking to anxiety, depression. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just sort of things that uh, you've gone through. When when was the first, 
um, sign, I guess, um, you know, with your struggles with um, anxiety, depression and, you know, things like that? Um, it all started, um, I had a car accident. Mm. Um, I was on my way to um, university one morning and um, it's, a, it's weird. So I say it's a funny story. It, it's not, but part of it is. Um, a lorry stopped for a rabbit to cross the road. Um, now, if you drive, you know that you really shouldn't stop for a rabbit. Definitely must have been a vegan. <laughs> Didn't want to kill, did he? Didn't want to kill. <laughs> Definitely. I think that was the only logical explanation. Good man. Good man. <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah, lorry stopped for this rabbit. And um, actually, my next door neighbour, who had just recently moved in um, across the road from me, was in the car ahead. Oh. Um, she stopped behind the lorry and then I came to a stop and then um, I was hit from behind by um, like a you know those mini white vans mm. um, somewhere between 40 and 50 miles an hour they reckon um, and then I was hit from behind again by another white van <laughs> which <laughs> <laughs> which so there was two white vans that didn't realise that it was time to stop mm. um, anyway so that happened Um I'll show you the pictures of what my car was like at the time. Yeah. Um, I was in shock really at the time, and um, my next door neighbour came and got me out of the car, and uh, I was sitting sitting on the side of the road. You know, people, there's an accident. Everyone wants to have a look and see yeah, what's going course. on. So it's like a, a one-way sort of six-to-one hour road. So now going in the opposite direction, um, people are looking to see what had happened. Yeah. And there is now there's another accident, a smaller one, just someone's rolled into the back of someone. Um, and then about five minutes later, there was another accident where someone had rolled into the back of someone else Jesus. looking. Anyway, um, I was in, um, I had pain, pain in my hip. I'd recently, not recently, a few years ago, I'd had operation on my hip, mm. but I was having pain in my hip um, straight afterwards and my, um, my back was sore as, as normal. You would get from whiplash injury um, and I was being sick. So they called the ambulance. Mm. My next neighbor called the ambulance for me. Anyway, the ambulance turned up. Um, ready to book me in and as they're doing that a lady's come running up the road saying somebody's come off their motorbike can you come down mm. um, so obviously I've uh, they've asked me because they, they said once I've got you checked in we can't let you go Yeah. they said do you mind if we go down and I was like oh, of course of course, yeah. you go. <laughs> of course you're going down um, so we've gone I'm in the back of the ambulance now they've driven sort of through the traffic down it's only about probably like 300 metres up the road and what had happened, found out subsequently, is that where my accident had been and then everything else had sort of queued up where there had been multiple accidents, um, this guy had gone to do a U-turn to basically get out of the traffic. Yeah. As he'd gone to do a U-turn, a motorcyclist was coming up the outside and collided with the car, basically. Came off the motorbike, landed... I don't know, probably about 100 metres from when the actual collision was. Yeah. In the end, about 100 metres, I've been in max, 50 metres probably. Yeah. It was a long Still, distance from where yeah. the car was, yeah. He'd come off and um, he was on the side of the road. And it just so happened that the way they positioned the ambulance was right what next to where the body was, where his body was. And um, obviously, that, they've opened the side doors to be able to get everything out. And um, unfortunately, they were working on him, but he he was but he died on the scene. Air mm. ambulance came and everything. Yeah. Um. But 
yeah, that was I was in shock, and then I was sort of witnessing everything going on with this this poor boy that had come off his motorbike, and um, it's just sort of, it's all a bit much, really. Yeah, um, it wasn't how I expected my Wednesday morning to go. Um, anyway, the, another ambulance came and picked me up, um, and took me away. And uh, I was explaining to the woman in the ambulance that what had happened and things. Mm. And I said that he'd stopped for a rabbit, the, the lorry driver. And this was the funny bit. And I said, well, at least, you know, one benefit of this whole situation is that the rabbit um, survived and everything. And she said, oh, I don't think it did. No. And I was thinking, in this moment right now, let's just tell me. Yeah, just say <laughs> the rabbit did Just say to me, and... yeah. Just give me some positive news about this situation that had happened. Mm. Um but yeah, from it was that basically. Um, I was a, you know, I was a, I was a man. I don't, you're fine. You don't, it's, it's, you don't talk about your don't emotions talk about openly, emotions, no. and you don't let what's happened affect from the outside seeping into you from just typical, like yeah. typical standpoint of a of a traditional English man. Yeah, is exactly. Whatever happened to you, you you know, you deal take with on board. It. You yeah, deal you put with it yourself away. internally, and you, you carry know, on with your life. Yeah, Nothing emotions can't be shown. Exactly. Very much. Um, so I was suffering from flashbacks to the incident. Mm. Um, so basically, it was PTSD. Yeah. Um, flashbacks, couldn't sleep, um, multiple different things going on. Sorry. Um, and I got to, I got to approximately a year and a bit after that, and I'd been sort of struggling with this all along, and the PTSD basically turned into a, a, de- a depression. Mm. which had subsequently got worse and worse and worse but so I, but I was hiding it better and better and better yeah um i mean this is something for people who it's funny i had a conversation with my mum this morning and um just like telling i knew i was coming on i was going to talk about things and mm. i was having a chat with her and she one of the things she said to me this morning which um she hadn't said to me before was that she felt to herself how didn't she know yeah and something that um, I tried to explain to her and I explained to other people that when you're going through these things, the struggle is there, but you can you can act, you can put on this act to the world. Yeah. So you can be, um, everyone think you're perfectly fine, you live in a normal life, and then you sort of shut your door, and then it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, you can was- actually be. It's almost like when you go, wake up in the morning, go outside, you mask yourself in. Um, everyday life i guess yep. going on social media post what you're doing for the day mm-hmm. um carry on i guess as your normal daily job and yeah, um, going into work as normal going into work functioning. having conversations so people don't automatically go you know some oh, you know brad's not you know they don't have that conversation with anyone or someone exactly. like, do you think brad's all right today or yeah. it's almost like yeah cool every day is normal you know you seem fine and then i guess for you when you get back it is almost like that everything off your shoulder that it was probably you had it to release it and 100 percent. that must be yeah it was it was i'd get into be once only once i got into my sort of bedroom Mm. i was at home got into my bedroom where i'd be like (coughs) yeah excuse me I can just let it. Did the cough as well? Didn't yeah, you? did the cough as well. <laughs> <laughs> you might hear that a few more times over the yeah. course of the, the next hour or so. But yeah, just it was um, the place where I could let it go. But it built up and built up and built up mm. to a point where um, I'd started to have thoughts of suicide, basically. Mm. Um, 
without wanting to act on it to begin with and then it slowly progressively got worse and worse um and there was someone that we both knew mm. um i knew i knew i heard the situation not not someone i knew well mm. but that they had um died by um suicide mm. and it was like a trigger for me to um to say oh okay well if someone else I, that i know of can do it yeah i can do this like i can actually and then that's when i started actively planning on what i wanted to do yeah um and in that period um i hurt a lot of people close to me around me um girlfriends girlfriends that was <laughs> no. you're gonna hurt my, them even more yeah, now after know, yeah, listening yeah. Um, girlfriend I think at the time girlfriend at the time not um, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this it was intentionally Mm. so that when I did everything it would be easier now in in my clear thinking mind now I realise that's absolutely stupid but in when I was in that moment well yeah I guess you're in a place where you you probably got to almost like a final place like you said in your head where you've planned everything out and you almost want to it's that release isn't it you want to release and you don't want to feel that pain every day or feel that you have to mask you know eight nine hours of the day waking up going out acting like everything's sunshine and roses and like you said because us as males we don't when it's it's not something that we're designed to as you've grown up like express your emotions no. go and tell like tell someone how you feel no matter how bad it is it's almost like right deal with it and that's what you were doing i think you got to that final point and like you said you unfortunately we knew someone who you know did do that and mm-hmm. that's almost triggered a place in your head where you think right oh, okay if they've done that i can do that and you don't want to feel that pain so no, it, yeah. it's almost like you've gone okay i you know i'm having thoughts of this i don't want to feel this pain lifting and carry around this every day this will be what's easier for me, for me to, do, to deal yeah, with yeah. and that that's a difficult situation for someone to grasp, like you're saying. When hundred percent that you know that fully comes around and they're back to a clearer stage clearer of thought. State of mind. Uh, yeah, that it was. I in my mind at the time, I felt it was easier for everybody else mm. if I just did did that. But I mean, I got to the stage. Um, my girlfriend at the time came and said to me, "Something's not quite. Something's not right with you." Mm. I understand you've you've hurt me whatever but this is not you yeah and it was her in that so this was the, the first sort of time i got really bad her and her sister actually who sort of were the ones that actively said something's not right yeah started speaking to my mum about it and together i got therapy and things and got through that one mm. um after that i decided that i wanted to go traveling yeah, I was like, "This is how can I just get away from this whole situation?" Again, it's that whole escapism, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's it was a, what I did. I didn't deal with the situation. Yeah, properly. it's not it's not necessarily you're not finding that root cause of um, you know, and it might have been for you that root causes you thinking was that my fault of the whole crash and what led to you know the motorcyclist it's and it's difficult because. So many things uh, you can't control what that person did. So so many people in that situation would sit in the traffic and wait. Yeah. And so many times it may pan out differently that the guy does do a U-turn and there's no cars there and he just gets off. And 
you know, but for you at the time, it was probably a case of you're going through, running through everything in your head and you're thinking it's something to do with you. And it, This didn't it, happen and this didn't happen mm. and that one. It's, it's actually really funny you said that because when I was sitting on the side of the road, there was this person in a lorry going in the opposite direction who shouted out, why don't you move your cars? Yeah. And that has always stuck in my head. And mm. that, when I was going through the moments, it was almost like a guilt feeling yeah. that if I'd have moved the car and thing, and then that wouldn't have happened and he'd still... But there were so many other there's things so that happened. Yeah, in, there's in so the many different consequences, isn't there? You exactly. don't know if that person um, was on their phone, wasn't paying attention. You know, There's so many different things that exactly. you could have... You probably won't even get to ever know as no. well. Um, and the two guys that hit you in the lorry, you don't know if both of them were on their phones, etc., or if they just weren't paying any attention, or if the brakes, you know, yeah, yeah. just weren't in terms of stoppage, it weren't right. There's so many different things that, you know, you can't sort of, you know, st- I know it's difficult. We can't, you know, blame that you can't one, know. one it, thing. But it was in that in that moment of processing of how my brain was working at the yeah. time that I was bringing anything else that I could to put on top of me to make myself feel worse basically but don't you find that's such a that's such a weird thing as humans that we have it's such a an emotion for uh when we when we obviously express it the empathy the guilt um and the actual ability to have such a driven thought process into you again being alive and you coming out of that accident to then you putting almost all of the blame of that one guy's death on you it's such a remarkable thing that we have as humans to go you know right i'm going to put all of this on me on me yeah and when you turn around and look at it you know there's i don't know how many other people were there but there's i'm sure there probably would have been a couple of hundred people there and it's so true and every every there were so many details after the my actual incident that led to that moment Mm. um hundreds of thousands of decisions that hundreds of people made yeah which then led to that one decision um and what i've learned sort of going through different therapies and things is that thoughts don't actually mean anything, which I didn't at the time. Everything that popped into my head was definite, and it mm. was a hundred percent what's happening and what what uh, the best the way I had to feel about things. Yeah. Because what I've learned now is you can have a thought, but it doesn't mean anything until you act on that thought. Yeah, for sure. I think thoughts as well. Like your, I think the weird thing about thoughts. I think you're always in control of your thought. I think mm-hmm. you've always got. Again, and that's where the acting might come into play. Um, and I guess maybe from um, a different standpoint on on thoughts, um, you know, if you wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm not good enough every morning. Yes. That thought, or even not saying it specifically, but looking in the mirror and, and thinking it, that thought acts in, out in different ways, psychologically, emotionally, and, you know, physically as well. I think the f- we're always in control of... Uh, having a positive thought and a negative thought like you say I think it's the action that we take on that and also the positive action and the positive thoughts we give and reinforce ourselves can determine you know movement forwards but definitely it's um, I saw a th- I saw something the other day it said smile in the mirror every morning mm. at yourself just because smiling increases the endorphins yeah I think you've also got to say good enough every morning mm-hmm. you know I am good enough we all want to be loved and especially for I'd say, uh, again, I'm assuming, but I'm saying majority of females in the morning probably look at themselves and uh, get themselves ready in the morning, you know, makeup and whatever. I mean, I certainly um, do. I have a good look in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to make sure the hair's on point, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, um, I think that's a massive key because, 
you're looking at yourself and i think if you're looking yeah. at yourself you're you know you, it's reflective right back into what you see and mm-hmm. then again i think sometimes especially first thing in the morning is the phone i think the amount of times we look in the you know look in the phone in the morning and if you're in a negative thought process and then you go on again social media as a tool yep. and then you're then having thoughts of someone else having a better life than you or what is perceived as a better life than you then that thought starts dwindling in even more and then you get into a mindset where you're even more again negative if if you was already in that state but it's difficult because obviously we use them as a tool um but i do think yeah i agree with you you got you got to look yourself in the mor- mirror in the morning and say you know i am good enough and set sort of mantras or affirmations and positive affirmations you know, yeah set yourself up 100%. for the day 100% because ultimately you're the you know you're the only one who is in control of your thoughts you know 100%. Ex- exterior no one else is it you know for as much as you might have an opinion on me or might say certain things to me or even if you you know you're negative towards me i I'm ultimately in control of my thought of what you're perceiving on me. Exactly. It only affects me if, if I, I want it. it. Yeah, yeah. If I want it to affect me. And that's how we, you know, you look at it and you can take, you can take it the other way and you can turn around and we can take on all the positives from what people say to us all the time. You can go into work and your manager will say, you've got the nicest style. The shoes that you have on so good. You're so good looking. Your hair's amazing. And you can soak that up and yeah. take that all in. But it's also going to have a, a negative effect on you if you're not open to receive it in the other ways and you're not yes. able to deal with it as well. Um, and I think it's just having that um, understanding, I think, of the thoughts. So just having a little bit of a better understanding. I think as men, we probably don't have that as no, much. I think, I think um, it's definitely getting better. 100%. Um, and it's really positive that it is getting better and there's more open talk about mm. feelings yeah um some people some people will always be negative towards it but you can't let that affect you and you've got to continue <laughs> doing what you're doing i just wanted to, actually you said about the the social media first thing in the morning mm. if you're waking up in a negative mood or a negative mind frame and you go on social media and you start looking at everyone else's life first of all i just want to say this what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing but social media when you look at somebody else's social media that is not their real life. Mm. If you go on most of the time, it's what they want to portray to the world of their life. Mm. And what they want or and what they need to and want to sell as well. Definitely. Definitely. But you are social media is selling this version of yourself. Mm. No one puts well, some people do, but really you get you won't get someone posting a picture of them on their way to work putting makeup on on the train in the way into work or mm. the man who's had a fight with his uh, with his wife the day before mm. you'll get the positive of oh look at us all happy on holiday together so you always see only positive things of other people and if you're waking up waking up in that negative mind frame you're always going to say why is that not happening to me mm. or i want that or why don't i have that holiday with that wife or that girlfriend or things yeah and that can affect you negatively that is a big thing of social media. I had a period where you're looking at everyone else's life and thinking, oh gosh, that's so much better than mine. But, but like, then people look at mine and say... But like you say, and like, and, and like you said earlier, and which was um, you know, such a good point and such a valid point for people that are listening, you went out every day and masking everything that you were carrying on yeah. your shoulders mm-hmm. for the whole day. So you know, you're doing that 
in your life and that's where social media comes into play in terms of it might not just be you walking out and actively seeing people face to face and masking something and mm. carrying stuff mm. but we're doing it with our phones or whatever platform we use we're doing it in pictures and captions to say look at me i'm having the sickest time whereas you might have just had an argument 10 minutes before that exactly you know you might have just have been told very bad news just before that and or you know you're promoting something that you know you have nothing about but you're getting paid for it it's it's a cycle where i think you you can use it as a tool um but i think if you can be in control of it it's exactly there, there it's are a lot of posi- there are a lot of positives to mm. to social media but you have to be aware of what it can can do yeah to people um we got off, went off track there didn't we but because i was talking about me going traveling <laughs> yeah sick mate sick time no it's good that it's good that we're just letting it flow when I went travelling, Reese, it was to get away from. Honestly, if I look back now, it was to get away from all the situations that I had going on here. Mm. Had an amazing time. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, did New Zealand, Australia, Thailand. Met friends along the way. Did America, Canada. But it was a, to get away. Mm. And then um, what I did, which probably, I found comfort in someone that I'd met whilst I was travelling in um, in New Zealand and a friend that still to them was still friends got on really really well mm. and then got into some sort of a friendship that was it a friendship was it not a friendship yeah little TV like, drama yeah yeah it was it, I think it could if you actually replayed the story it would yeah. it would it would beat you standards for ratings on a, on a <laughs> Friday night NTA <laughs> award yeah. um, and where I was in, I really wasn't in a position to be thinking about things like that. Mm. And I got involved and what happened was afterwards I left to come home for a friend's wedding. Mm. And I'd so actually, I didn't say this. I was put on medication after the first time I got really bad. Um, I was put on a antidepressant called uh, sertraline. Yeah, I was actually put on something called Citalopram initially, and that didn't resonate with me at all. What um, what sort of things didn't it resonate with? Moods um, or yeah, so didn't help mood at all. Uh, I had side effects, shaking legs, um, palpitations, couldn't mm. sleep. I probably had about the most I had was about three hours sleep a night for yeah. two weeks. It was, and that sleep's important. So oh, it was yeah. just. Cool. And when you start taking these things, they always say, you know, it could get worse in the first couple of weeks or a month or so. And I, that just didn't, that one just didn't work with me. Mm. So anyway, they put me onto this other one, sertraline. So I've been, I was taking that the whole time I was away. Mm. And then I was in New Zealand having a great time. Um, I'd actually, so I, after traveling, I went back to New Zealand to move there and work and things. Having a great time. I was like, in a good place and I stopped taking the medication mm. um, um, off my own back. Yeah. Didn't really speak to anyone about it. Just stopped it. Yeah. So I thought, I'm oh, fine now. I'm yeah. good. Hadn't actually actually dealt with any of my problems, really. No. But <laughs> um, fine, went back. And then I got home and my anxiety built up um, massively, hugely. Like I hadn't had anxiety like it before. And it grew and grew and grew to a point. Then the depression side of things came with it. Yeah. And so this was come down to last September. So last, so September 2018, mm. I got to the point, I actually took a, a overdose 
on medication. Mm. Consciously or consciously, yeah. I can. It, it's. Um, I can fully, rem- being calm as anything. I'd made the decision. Whereas I think the first time I was going through things, it was sort of a build up, and it was. I knew what I wanted to do, but there was still part of me that was. Still, un- yeah, yeah, still yeah. unsure. Uh, this time, I just went and went and did it. Mm. Uh, if I tell you, I'll tell you the, the story. Basically, when I started getting bad, I said to my mum, I was actually away with my mum. My aunt was in a, um, a swimming competition. Mm. She's like an age group national swimmer, and we'd gone to I think it was Budapest or somewhere, and we, I was out there and I said to my mum, I'm not good, and we yeah. got we got back and after a few days of being back, she took me took me to A and E because she was worried about me and that's if you're worried about someone's going to do something, yeah. act or deliberate self-harm or something, took me to A&E and I was there, uh, sent home the next day. And I had a psychiatrist come round along with somebody else. And I remember this psychiatrist came round and he had no rapport, build skills about him at all. He was basically just managed, came into my house and said, oh yeah, you've got this, um, take these, take these tablets, you'll be fine. Go and off then, yeah. yeah. Go off the, these or mask. Yeah, yeah. And you'll be fine. It's like this is this is this is normal. Nothing's wrong. Just take these. You'll mm. be fine. And basically, give me a medication called quetiapine, which is an antipsychotic. But he'd given it to me as a dosage for sleep. Yeah. To help with my sleep because I wasn't sleeping very well at the time. Not something from what I've researched now and spoken to more people about that's really advised as much anymore no and it was once when when i was put on that medication like any of these medications they can make you worse it was within a week of that medication that i had taken the overdose yeah the night before i took the overdose the day and night i was with a group of my friends from university Mm. ever since i've always found it a little bit difficult to be around them yeah because it brings back that moment of when that i was there emotion of yeah. emotion of, of, of being there at that time it i was with them they've literally i'd fully planned that the next day i was leaving there and go home mm. and and take all the take all the medication that i had but they wouldn't have known it's the, the ability to mask it again, again yeah even though when i was at home and my mum could see that i wasn't well and things it was i said i'm gonna go to this event just to see how it was but fully knowing yeah that tomorrow was coming and they didn't know anything and actually i fully admit that it's it's affected the relationship that we that my relationship with them mm. um not for any fault of their own or it is literally just me struggling to dissociate that night before to the event of me actually taking the overdose of course because that still brings back a certain amount of the again the pain of yeah it's this almost, could be the final time with them yeah or this is about to be this the final be. Yeah. time with them so i guess when you're around them now it's constantly a reminder of that time in your head where you was like okay this is even though you know, like, i'm very open now when i speak about it and i'm open about it i don't particularly like going back and thinking about it mm. um, I'll talk about it and what's happened and my experiences because I want people to know that this does just happen to that normal person yeah the the, the funny one or the you know yeah the one who you wouldn't know about um, you'd never think about it 
but you don't particularly like going back and thinking about it and sometimes when I'm with them it triggers that thinking about it um so yeah so the, I took I took the overdose and uh I remember sitting there on a, on a, sat on the side of my bed took the medication and got into bed like just as you just, were about yeah, to fall asleep yeah just about to fall asleep and um so that was it's a funny film it was on World Suicide Prevention Day oh really it was a night of World Suicide Prevention Day I didn't know it at the time I didn't it just nah. if, if known that subsequently and it was the night of World Suicide Prevention Day and from so this is all a story that I've got back from my mum now mm. she found me in the morning I was in the bathroom for some I have no recollection at all yeah but I was in the bathroom and um she called an ambulance and things so I woke up I think it was a Sunday night so I woke up the Tuesday in hospital mm. and uh, obviously my mum was there and nurses and things and everyone and then I might have been there for another day or so and then I was sent home but I was sent home without anything in place so in terms of imagine someone's just tried attempted to suicide mm. And I was sent home without any therapy in place, without anyone to see for, um, to check my medication. Yeah. To, I was just sent home. No backstory to yeah. figure out what yeah. you yeah. was previously on. To, I was just sent home, Reese. Mm. And then it's funny. After that, I had someone who was the home treatment team, and they came. So basically, they'd come round. Someone would come round for like five ten minutes just to chat to me and see how I'm doing and things. Yeah. And this is where. The NHS is an amazing organisation. Everyone who works mm. within the NHS are doing it because they love, you know, helping people. Yeah. But the unfortunate thing is it's underfunded. So I would be there, this is like three days after I come home, waiting for this person to come round, this lady, and then she'd ring me and say, I can't make it today, it's going to be somebody else. Mm. So where I was just sort of building that rapport with this lady, all of a sudden it was someone new. And then a day later after that, I get a phone call and say... No one's going to be able to make it today. Mm. And then you just sort of feel completely lost again. So, so that one sort of thing I was looking forward to, not, mm. not even looking forward to, but that was the, the only structure I had for the day. Yeah. That this person's going to come round at between this time and this time. I've got to get myself out of bed and downstairs mm. to talk to them, etc., etc. And then I just, that uncertainty and inconsistency made me start spiralling mm. again. And I got worse and worse and worse. And I'd actually seen a, a therapist privately for beforehand. And so my mum took me to see her again. And I was seeing her and she actually wanted to, she wanted to admit me into the, uh, into like a, on a psychiatric ward. Mm. But they weren't having it. The BRHS said I wasn't bad enough. Yeah. Um, so what happened after that, the therapist I saw got me in contact with a psychiatrist who I went and saw. Luckily um, for me, from when I was a lot younger playing football, I've had f three operations on my hips and both my knees done. Mm. So my body is broken. Um, yeah. But when my body started to break down, my um, my mum had got out of private health insurance for me. Mm -hmm. So that was able to fund my care, yeah. my, the psychiatric care that I needed. And... It wasn't until I had my that 
sort of support network of the therapist and the psychiatrist together. Yeah. That I felt, okay, I can actually see a light out, a way out of this. Yeah, of course. Because I felt I had the support of these two people. I had the psychiatrist who, who was like, this is the plan. Mm. Not just someone who came around and said, just take these, you'll be fine. Yeah. He said, this is the plan. We're going to get you off that and just slowly work your way, mm. you know. Um, and my therapist were there to help me work through what the whole issues were. Yeah. All stemming from an initial car accident, mm. but had grown and worsened with other life events and things that had gone on along the way. Yeah. I think what you're saying there is really interesting in the sense that you felt that the path and you saw the light was definitely when you had the two of them working together yeah and uh, sort of alluding back to earlier um again um in the football talk was Mm. having someone that will listen to you as well and i think because you've had you've got those two people that are in place maybe they've got more time than the nhs they can really understand where you're coming from so they're putting a structure in place and they're probably talking to each other and liaising Mm -hmm in okay we, I, I felt like this with brad today in terms of um his emotions or where he was coming from or what he was telling me yeah cool i felt this too or you know this is what we've got to do to work things through and then they're then putting that trust in you as well because like yes. you were saying earlier you felt like you needed someone to come and see you in the initial stages of coming out and with the nhs someone maybe wouldn't be there or mm. they were mm-hmm. calling and say someone else was there so you probably wasn't fully trusting that either the right person or the person you saw for two weeks would would come and you were starting to build that rapport with someone that was listening to now having these two people in place that were listening had an idea of you know um what to do to try and help you Mm -hmm. and were sort of guiding you and i think that's important for people to like say find whether that's privately through the nhs or through someone that's gone through that already and i think that is massively key and Again, can't stress enough, especially, obviously it's not just males, but especially males that don't really want to talk openly. Um, Because from what you're saying as well, um, a lot of the stuff that you've gone through, especially at the early stages, um, probably didn't communicate. Um, No, if I'd have communicated, none of this would have happened. Well, not necessarily, none of this would have happened, but yeah, it, it potentially would have got, nipped earlier on yeah, or seen exactly. earlier on because someone would have said look he's he's saying this to me mm-hmm. i'm going to act on it and you know even if you do act on it it's for a good reason exactly. then at least someone else can come in and say actually yeah what he's saying you're right we do need to put this in place mm-hmm. or we do need to you know sit there and listen or take more care and more time into what the situation is arising and i think that's really important what would you say in terms of um it's a difficult one. I know we had this chat off air, but what would you say in terms of the antidepressant drugs? <coughs> um, because I was doing some research yesterday and according to um, uh, NHS Online, it's, it was around one in six women, 2017 study, that are on antidepressant drugs, which seems to me is, is quite a high amount. It's high. Um, would you say... They are something that is, and again, I need to, uh, something that is necessary in the early stages, um, or would you say that it's something that 
if everything else that you've tried afterwards, then would you then say, you know, give it a try? Because like you said, you've had a couple of experiences where these drugs wasn't working with you and they've switched and gone to this or changed maybe the doses. Would you say that trying something different and an alternative method, whether that be beforehand, beforehand, whether that would be finding people to speak to? I think... Your take on it. I think... um, Because I've... Over the last year or so, I've been really open with my own um, situation around people that I know. People have come... Not come to me, but have opened a dialogue. Yeah. So people that I would never have thought was suffered with things or were on antidepressants or anything, I maybe nobody else knows that they they are. Yeah. We, I've learned. It's a common ground, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I've learned about their story and Mm. and um, I think what happens, unfortunately, because there is a lack of maybe therapists, which would be the you know some some sort of talking therapy. Um, for you, if you're in a bad place and you go to your GP, usually the first thing they'll do is say, "Have try this, mm, prescribe you something, mm, prescribe you something," because you're looking at waiting lists of X, Y, Z, up sixteen, eighteen weeks. When after I took the overdose, they said I'm looking at a twelve to sixteen week waiting list for some sort of talking therapy. Mm. Not the people who are actually doing it's fault. It's just that there's there's not enough. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing that you have to remember is that what I said to your fear is everyone is slightly different. Mm. Some people don't probably are on medication that definitely don't need to be on medication. Yeah. Some people will need to be on that medication forever. It really does. It depends on that individual. I am now currently off my medication after having different courses of different treatments and things, which we'll talk about. But I think when it comes to the mind and psychiatric care, it is about the individuality, mm. which I don't think within the primary care of NHS is is allowed to happen. Mm. So. You th- a GP is not going to sit there and they've got 10 minutes. They've got 10 minutes with you to say, for you to say what you think. The easiest thing is to say, here you go. But also, this. Yeah, and it's also it's a difficult situation because like you're saying, within the NHS, it's almost that time, that they haven't got given that time frame, but they're given alternatives to give which are prescribing certain medications yeah. without mm-hmm. actually the implications of knowing that individual and knowing mm-hmm. how that may or may not work for them. Yeah. Um, and and then the individual goes away almost thinking okay I've gone to my GP they've prescribed this and in their head it may be a case of why is it right now I want this to work why is this not working and then like you're saying in your case it didn't work for you you mm-hmm. ended up going on another drug and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they're in this cycle of almost like a dependency on, on the, the actual the- antidepressant where there's not necessarily tackling the root cause which could what? be a vast amount could be anything of anything it could be like you said like your story it could be childhood trauma Mm -hmm. um, it could be relationship struggles it could be your you know stress from your job it could be a vast amount and that's where i think sometimes i don't know a lot of these drugs are not it's it's almost like technology it's i don't know if they'll be able to fully catch up with the actual cycle of what may be causing the 
trauma. So for if I talk about my experience with the medication, I think there was a point when it um, helped me. Mm. I don't know if that was just that it did make pharmacological changes in my brain or if it was just from a psychological standpoint. Mm. But I can say that within myself, I felt that it helped me. But it wasn't until I had the talking therapies that I really felt that I was improving. Yeah. So from my own personal point of view, it is having that, It's it was the talking therapies that helped me get through the things. So my A1 would be to have a talking therapy before having the medication but that's just my personal experience yeah. well that's well that's interesting because looking through um and doing some research on again a vast amount um and again people family members as well um yep. it's a long history in my family um on my dad's side that there is um, depression and bipolar in the family mm-hmm. um so again again i've got um siblings who have bipolar um so it's something that i take a lot of interest in and that um I was doing some research on this before I had you on and mm-hmm. just going through, you know, I guess you, you can call them celebrities and you've got like Robbie Williams um, suffers with anxiety, depression, Stephen Fry, bipolar, David Williams, depression, fear, being alone, um, Catherine Zeta-Jones, bipolar, type 2 disorder and then you've got J.K. Rowling who's obviously the author of Harry Potter yep. and this one is what stuck with me um, because all the others had different types of... Um, again uh treatments so whether they're um they spoke about using um antidepressants some of them spoke about doing different types of therapies but this one is similar to what you said in terms of talking therapy in jk rowling um contemplated suicide um and before anything else she was prescribed cognitive behavioral therapy yep. which uses counseling to help her negative thoughts and speech therapy so that's that's quite an interesting take that again obviously you've personally gone through that mm. and one of the biggest authors or if not the biggest author the in the biggest world author, yeah. gone the through, biggest yeah and it's gone through that but the thing that worked for her wasn't um necessarily you know it, it was that emotional connection it was and i think like you were speaking at off there it's the social side isn't it? i think oh, somewhere yeah. we are missing whether it's feeling like we're part of something whether it's a case of again feeling like you haven't got necessarily the social group that you can discuss this with um whether they might you know take offense whether they might again because they might be going through that so sometimes Mm -hmm. when people open up other people can be defensive and you know not be open to what you're saying um but this is i think that's such a i think a key issue because we are such social creatures really if you look at it we all like to post stuff so we all like to receive stuff from people whether it's a like whether it's a comment from someone yeah but we're taking away that social side of the actual engagement whether it's you know apathy empathy speaking to people engagement and i think that's getting missed and that and like you spoke about could be a very good way of helping people definitely i just don't know whether we've got the manpower or if not necessarily whether we have, we have got the manpower or whether it's a case where people are taking that side of things seriously in terms of a way of helping people mm-hmm. as opposed to just give people the medication. The medication. I think um, definitely having having an emotional connection with someone to help you bring you out of those places, that, yeah, 
it was the biggest thing for me. Mm. Um, not, not because I didn't have. Okay, so that was with my therapist. Mm. I had people around me. I yeah. had my family, my friends. Listen, my mum. I'd. She's, I've always been really close to my mum. Mm. But there were things going through my head that I didn't want to tell my mum. Yeah. Because she's the person that's closest to me. And if I tell her these things, I don't want to upset my mum. Mm. You know, of course. She was like, she's the person that, she's the person that you think you go to, or mm. she even, I know that she wanted me to go to her. Yeah. But it was almost, in a weird way, I, I felt like I was protecting her by yeah. not saying this. So I had to find somebody else. Yeah, of course. That, and for me, luckily, that was with my therapist. But you know, it might, it might be your friend or your. That's such a yeah. That is such an interesting point that you raised because I I had a similar, um, similar situation when I was about twenty one. Yeah, twenty twenty one. I can remember it quite clearly. Um, I remember uh, going through phases of football, and you know, obviously, like on a football pitch, yeah, yeah. I, I switch a little bit. And <laughs> people say I can be quite angry, but I I, I tend to disagree and tend yeah. to say it's very controlled. But um, other way. It, I was getting very. Uh, I was in a place where after losing games after games after yeah. games, I was getting very uh, down. Very, and it got to the point my girlfriend at the time, um, she would check my results, and if you know, if I'd lose Saturday, she wouldn't see me. She'd say I'll see you Sunday. We just got to that point. It was just really bad, and it for me it was um, a point where everything else after that from the football side started creeping into my actual life and everyday, then it, life. everyday mm. life and then it it got to a point where i was down and when i was seeing my girlfriend at the time it wasn't um quality time together i was very much at a point where i was there but i wasn't there yeah um and i think she could pick up on that and i remember one day coming home after a game um driving back I think it was maybe, uh, I want to say Dorchester at the time, Dorchester away, and I think we lost 1-0, they scored in the 95th minute, something like that. I remember just at this point, I was just very down, and I was just like, right, I just I knew I just wanted to like give up football and just weren't in the right place. And I remember just getting in and just saying to my mum, I was just like, I remember coming in and I was like, have you got any calms I think they were you yeah, know like yeah, the, the minutes and they help you sleep yeah days. so and I remember saying to her and then she was just like why do you want calms and stuff like that and I just said just because I'm just feeling like very down at the moment um, and it, it was almost again I could, cause like you were alluding to earlier I can't mm. I couldn't necessarily or didn't want to open up how I was feeling I was just like I'm down like, I'm, I'm very down yeah. and then it got to a point where I was like no, seriously, I'm I'm just feeling very, very, very depressed all the time. Like, I need these calms. Mm. And this was like six, seven years ago. And I don't think at the time she really um, maybe understood how down I was um, and almost sort of gave me the calms. And, I didn't, and it got to the point where I didn't even actually take them in the end. I think it was, for, for me, I think it was a case of more of a, a case of having to relay what I was feeling to someone yeah. and saying, look, okay. I am actually down. I have to say this to you. Otherwise I'm going to break. Yeah. And that's, I think, and I once I got much. that off my chest, I, 
I felt like I didn't need to take the calms. But then, then for me, the process and which is still ongoing with me is a case of figuring out what my triggers were yes. and what my thoughts were that were relaying to the triggers. So for me, it was a case of, right, this is something that I'm going to have to work on. Otherwise, you know, it could potentially ruin my life or ruin everyone who was around me. And it did ultimately affect, you know, my it, it affected my um, previous relationship because I didn't feel I was good enough. Yeah. And I went out and did things that I shouldn't have done. Um, you know, I didn't feel like I could progress in the relationship that I was in at the time because, again, I didn't feel like I was good enough for the person. So I went and did stuff. So that was a big... Um, and I think that, you know, the, the actual... You know, the breaking point for me was actually when my ex at the time ended up finishing stuff because it actually forced me to then really take a look at myself and really figure out where, where I was at and yeah. what I needed to do. And that point of, I don't know, I guess, not knowing was a, was actually a, a, a good turning point for me. So In yeah, that moment, sort of after you broke up and you were trying to work out, what did you do was it just a um well it was a five five year relationship so it was quite a long relationship and i and i initially i i definitely came from the standpoint that i was resentful um yeah i was very resentful um i also came from the standpoint where i wanted to get her back initially obviously you know trying little things that you know like anyone would do in that situation um but initially, I knew that I wanted to... I've always wanted to go to America. Um, and the opportunity, again, whether you call it fate, whether you call it universe, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, one of my mates um, was working in America and messaged me at the time. Literally, I remember it as clear as day. It was two days after we split up, saying there's going to be an interview process in Colchester for a company working in America. Do you want me to let them know? Are you interested? Two Co- days... Coaching. Coaching. Yeah. Two days... I've always wanted to go to America, whether it's play, coach, whatever. Two days after, got this uh, message on Facebook from my mate and I was just like, yeah. Without any hesitation, mm. I was like, yeah. But then, when it got closer and closer, because it was like a month, two months away, then it, when it got closer and closer um, to the actual interview stage then the thought started coming back in of, um, you know, am I good enough to, you know, pass the interview? Am, yeah, you know, what's going to happen? Am I good enough to, you know, work in America? Am I good enough to like coach these kids? Whatever. Everything started coming back. And then, um, I remember one of the, one of the girls that I used to work with at, at JD, she was just like, well, you ain't got nothing else to lose, have you? It's literally just blunt as anything. She's like, you ain't got nothing else to lose. Your missus split up with you. you got nothing else on. You hate football. Why not? So I was like, sometimes you just need to hear things yeah. straight. And I was you just do. like, do you know what? That is, you've got, you're 100% right. So I went to the interview and then pretty much, I remember I had a game in Lewis, so Brighton way. Yeah, yeah. I remember I literally had, uh, yeah, so I had that, uh, game on that day and then literally went for the interview first part did the interview and they were like we'll pretty much offer you a place after that um, and that's sort of the first sign I guess for me of work like, of sort of trying to tackle things head on um, from there and then it just got into other little things from then on sort of reading books and I, I never read a whole book until I was I remember yeah it was must have been 21 yeah so I never read a book mm. until I was 21 so I was reading books like The Secret um 
things like that trying to find different uh things that might work um in my everyday life and bring in like the positive side of things but yeah it was just um a case of that but again just going back to the whole point i think it was just a case of um from my side was actually just releasing what i was feeling yeah and getting that out i think sometimes as well um even though the person that you might not be talking to might not fully understand it i think if you can release that that is a a, again it's sort of like the mask isn't it you're releasing everything that was off your shoulders and you know what you've been holding in is then fully released and even to this day there's so many things that you know um i do that i know right i need to reverse that reverse yeah. engineer it. otherwise i know it will eventually put me into you know that negative mindset continue, so, along, the, continue along the path yeah um and there's still times now where you know I'll, I'll do certain things but i think that's just the whole progression of life really we're not going to be people who are sat here and perfect that's no, the whole that's the thing as well nobody nobody's happy that's the whole 100% point of the time no but what you were saying about just luckily i feel myself you we've got people around us that we can openly mm. talk to so yeah even now now i mean I, I saw my therapist on monday for the first time in months mm. just because i knew that i'd starting to feel a little bit something wasn't quite right yeah just someone that i could offload to even though i speak to my i've got friends and and my mum and things and i speak to them but I just wanted to go back and to that sort of comfort area where i yeah where i can and which is positive because i you know i'm able to do that and afford to do that but the there's a there was an article the British Medical British Medical Association put up so like we're in Essex now um, I'm in Chelmsford so this bit close to South Essex but this 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 article was released last year and it said in the whole area of Basildon South End and Thurrock now if you know Essex that's quite a large area yeah. it says I'll read it word for word right. On average, people patients in Basildon, Southend, and Thurrock waited a year and a half as the NHS employed a single therapist for all of South Essex. Jesus. So imagine we're we're able to have people around us, but there's there's people that are isolated. Mm. There's people that are isolated. Loneliness is a big one. Sometimes you just need to be able to do that and you think, alright, I'm not feeling well, I'm gonna to go to my doctor or my GP or whatever it might be. And it goes back to that, we're going to give you the medication mm. because you're going to be waiting. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's the one, one, I could, when I read mm. that, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe what I was reading. And if the stats of, for females are one in six people in that area, the amount of people that you're going to have that need that care and attention. Mm-hmm. And it's the case... It, when you look at it and you read those stats, it is frustrating because I don't believe for any second there is money there that can go to hell I, for any second no one can sit there and tell me Brexit's happening whatever we haven't got the money for this we haven't got the, no one can sit there and tell me that Nobody there's me there's that. money there when it's, we're spending how many billions renewing the nuclear arsenal again but we yeah. can't look after that, and again and that's what you know when you're talking about um, yeah suicide rates in males um, but in females but in males constantly on the rise um, I mean, I, I read an article um, and a study done in 2007, which I couldn't believe. Mm. Greenland has the highest suicide rates in the world. Greenland. No sunlight. Greenland has the highest suicide rates in the world. You don't hear that anywhere, do you? No. no, that's true. But that's, again, and it's, 
sometimes when you're talking about like the loneliness and the isolation, um, David Walliams, one of his was um, depression and fear of being alone. Mm. And I think, again, keep going to loon back to the social side of things, but a phone, I think, plays a massive trigger in that. Because you don't even need to go and see people. You can no, FaceTime exactly. them. Before, before these, these beautiful devices were invented, you'd have to speak on the phone. Even speaking mm. on the phone is better than sending the text message. People rather spend a text message than actually speak to someone nowadays, right? Mm. But you'd you'd have to meet up with people to to, to be able to speak to them. But what now, everyone yeah. stays in their room now. But what's our culture like? If you go and meet someone, you're either giving someone a handshake, you're giving someone a, a hug. So the actual physical aspect mm-hmm. of going to see someone, and even if you're giving that person a hug, you not you may if you're feeling in that state of I am feeling lonely i am feeling depressed i'm feeling anxious and you go and meet someone even if you don't talk about what's going on in your head and you go and meet that person you give them a hug that will release so much of feelings out from what you're seeing as opposed to going on skype facetime 100 percent. and i think we're losing 100%. that connection so much and it's not necessarily again just saying like the social media side of things but it's more of like the again the phone side of saying right Go out and just leave your phone. Meet. Mm. Say you're gonna meet somewhere and just go and meet. Hundred percent. Miss it a lot. It's it's scary, really, how we can isolate ourselves. Mm. I know when I'm going through moments, I I isolate myself brilliantly. Um, if, if you good. can say it brilliantly, I I could be in my room for weeks without managing to see anybody. Hide and seek was the best game when we were young. There we go. I think so. that's what that's where I learned it from. Yeah. Right? Even over the Christmas period, I wasn't feeling like my best self and. I can I just isolate myself in my room, and um, someone will say, "Oh, you up for do this tonight?" Oh, sorry, I can't. Mm. Some excuse that was absolute nonsense because yeah. I'm sitting in my bed watching Netflix, yeah. so I can't bother to get out. Um, yeah, but the isolation thing and leading to the suicide rates is yeah, it's hundred. It's, it's a I think it's a factor. Mm. Suicide, just touching on the suicide rates, for Samaritans numbers from 2017. 14 suicides in England per 100,000 people. So to put that into real terms, yes. you're watching an anti-Joshua fight, fighting at Wembley, 100,000 people, 90,000 people. 14 of those people could potentially do it right could potentially, potentially committing suicide in that, within that year. Mm. That's, that's, that's 14 people inside Wembley Stadium. That's not... Mm. That's not a... A number to be sniffed at that is a it's a high percentage mm. and i think when we're again it's difficult because everyone has so many different fears anxiety issues again when you sort of try and hit to the root cause of things the loneliness is a big factor massive factor because at the end of the day we can have as many nice cars as you want houses money but We're social if beings. you're we if you're social beings. if you're getting unfortunately a disease that stricken you and you're bed bound and you're you're dying slowly you're not sitting there thinking about the cars that you've got or the four houses you're renting out you're sitting Doesn't there thinking anything. as long as you've got that process to still think you're sitting there thinking about what life you led who what, you touched what experiences you what had. you what you mm-hmm. had 
you're not sitting there thinking about that. You're not sitting there thinking about the times that you uploaded a picture to Instagram and got 500 likes <laughs> yeah. in 60 seconds. Because you had your brand new car in it, which was costing you're, a lot of money, wherever it is. You're sitting there thinking about the lives you touched, what you did, what you experienced, the fun that you had, but also the struggles you had and the way you got out of those struggles, but then got back into the struggles. It's like a little dance. You come in and out of it, yeah. in and out of it, in and out of it, in and out of it. And that's fine because that's life, unfortunately. That's life. life isn't, isn't, isn't one straight upward uh upward trajectory that's why we've got roads in there. yeah exactly and there's there's hills on those roads yeah well, i like that one travel lights <laughs> on those roads as well to be fair sometimes you stop sometimes you go sometimes you're up sometimes you're down but, but also you have to you i think as well listening you have to almost you have to stop and mm. like i say for me the stop the stopping point i guess was getting dumped yeah in in my you know and maybe the stopping point for you was waking up on a tuesday not knowing where you were mm-hmm. um and stop and reassess what's going on in your life yeah i think there's there is and i think there is little things little tools people can use to try and help them um again it it may be i don't know helpful for you to talk about um the different types of treatment like we're speaking about off air um that you're going through and been through that you found useful so I've, i've tried several things i've sort of cognitive behavioural therapy that you were talking about before. Um, I did that, but I still I still struggled with my PTSD symptoms of sometimes yep. having flashbacks or being... I'd be driving my car and my hands would be firmly on the steering wheel, mm. like gripped tightly, almost like an anticipation that I was going to be hit. Yeah. And I'd be hypervigilant. So I'd be driving along constantly checking my rearview mirror. I mean, I passed my driving test. Cause I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, definitely <laughs> But I was like just hyper vigilant around situations mm. and anxious around um, anything or loud noises or anything that could have I guess brought me back to that point. Yeah. And I my friend's wife treats um patients who have had trauma during birth mm-hmm. with this therapy. It's called rewind therapy. Where basically she takes you through the process and of the trauma and then yep. disassociates you from it mm-hmm. and obviously she knew everything i was gone through and she said well as a as a friend let, let's let's see if we can if it will work for you mm. and i saw her maybe six to eight times to do this literally be a 20 minute half an hour session where she takes me back through the trauma and i just completely disassociate myself from feelings from the actual event yeah and ever since i did that I can drive normally. I have. There's nothing. No PTSD symptoms related to the accident that I still have, hmm. which is incredible. That's remarkable. And that's. Yeah. How, how would she take you through the trauma? You have to talk to her and tell you everything, every scenario that yeah, happened so, and how it played out? Yeah, so basically I would tell her what I explained to her, the, the whole situation. Hmm. And then it would be a case of um, close my eyes, almost get, almost get you into a, I guess, a a semi-hypnotic state or ultra-relaxation, a state of ultra-relaxation. And then she would talk through the incident, but then release the feeling from it. So it just became an event. It was just an event that happened. It wasn't the event with the the increased heart rate and the increased palpitations and sweaty palms and everything. Um, Yeah, but I mean, her her, her business, Mind Mind Baby Body is is focusing on pe- 
women with birth trauma mm. and it helps them because obviously they want to well not all of them but a lot of females and the males together husbands and wives wherever it might be want to have a second child mm. but there might be that fear still there um but it worked in my situation as well because that is a form of ptsd the trauma around the birth and that worked with that amazingly um so yeah she knows that has that been has, it, has that been done on others as well honestly reese don't know i don't I've, i don't know anyone else who's um used it in the sense that i used it mm. um only knowing from her in terms of what she does with the um the birth trauma area mm. um she gets really good results in there but in terms of me from my that traumatic experience i guess it would work theoretically i assume it would work yeah. with any traumatic experience because she's trying to take away the emotional yeah, side the emotion that's related to related the incident to the incident yeah. still yeah so would you recommend that to i would yeah 100 <coughs> percent. excuse me sorry you said it's um it's called the, the therapy's called rewind therapy rewind um i'll give people um like, like yeah instagram or something at the end and for contacts and things yeah um Definitely, I would. Re- if someone's suffering with a PTSD type event, only I mean I can only speak from my personal yeah, experience. Of but from my personal experience, it helped me, and it's another thing that you can try. Mm. Once again, everyone's not. Everyone hasn't got the same fixes. We're not like a car. Yeah, it you doesn't put- have to be. You're you're stuck on that particular prescription. You know, yeah. hope hope it works. Sort of thing. Try it. If it works See, for you, positive. stick with what works, yeah. and then go from there. I guess. It's, it's good to have as many uh, tools in the toolbox, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, and the other thing I had um, is a treatment called repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, so this is basically uh, quite new to the UK. I've only been here for about five years or so. Mm. Um, and it's basically a non-pharmacological treatment for um, depression and anxiety and as well as you can do things for migraine and pain and things. Um, but mine was for sort of my depression um i i had this around june time this year yeah basically what it is it's a a magnetic coil that you place above um certain parts of the 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 brain so you put it on the skull and it creates a magnetic um pulse which then basically increases activity in the brain for people who have depression yeah um or if you're suffering from anxiety it will reduce the activity in the brain. You mm. think when you're anxious, everything's firing. Yeah, everything's you're firing. In your, yeah, it's overactive. It's like an overactive yeah, fire or whatever. It's exactly. working and yeah, constant. Whereas in depression, everything's that little bit mm. more, I'm going to say depressed, but yeah, yeah, not not firing as efficiently as it could be. Um, yeah, so in simple terms, that's what it does. Um, it's like a 30-week treatment. 30-week? 30 treatments that Cycle. you have over, yeah, over a course of six weeks, five days a week. Um, or it can be shortened about two on a day or etc mm. but you normally have five in a week and that I had that it got me off my medication and since I had that is the most fully stable that I've been don't get me wrong I still have periods of of course low times, like we're talking about over Christmas but it's been my most consistent that I've been without getting really bad in the last three three and a half four years mm. um and so off the back of that, I had the treatment, found the success of it myself. I actually now deliver the treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So usually there's there's one NHS um, 
department, I know for sure it's in um, Northampton. Yeah. That that deliver the treatment there, and the neuromodulation centre or something along those lines in Northampton. But as far as I'm aware, that's the the big the biggest one or main one in the country. There's not many others, no. and the rest is all private. So I work for a private company. It's not it's not the cheapest um, no. um, thing in the world, but it's it's the next stage. So you've got a lot of people who are resistant. They call it um, resistant to taking medication so if the medication doesn't work for them or therapy and medication or combination of things doesn't work yeah it's another you say tool another, in the toolbox yeah, it's to another see, avenue yeah. another tool to see what could potentially work exactly can it can it work a lot of the the research saying that a combination of um a combination of having this therapy as well as having talking therapy alongside it yeah is shown to have sort of the best overall results in terms of people's mood at the end and their longevity yeah. of of being in remission or whatever you might want to call it so for those listening in and that might be skeptical because you said there might there's a you know a metal thing that goes above your head yeah what are there and and, and if so what side effects would there be for that as opposed to let's say people that are like okay i'm, I'm on these drugs I then don't want to try this if the, the drugs are going to have specific side effects. And now, now you know, I want to try this, but I don't want to end Doing up... more side effects on top yeah. of that. So the only real side effect is possibly having a bit of a headache okay. afterwards. So when I'm showing you, you can see the picture there. Basically, yeah. it literally is just... You don't even... I see it sounds like I said magnetic coil. All you see is a plastic sort of um, figure of eight shaped bit of plastic that put onto your head all the coils and everything that's working is in in that yeah it doesn't seem like it's no, yeah it, it's, it's it seems like it's very it's relaxing it's not seems like it's going to stress you out it seems like you can just sit there and you can sit there you can be on your phone you can mm. talk to someone it's completely non yeah there's, there's no issues around it you, what it feels like so you get like a the best way to describe this is if you imagine a woodpecker was pecking at your head. Mm. That's exactly what that would feel like. Okay. And it's just, you get a period of pecking for about 10, 15 seconds, then it'll stop, then you get it again, stop, again, stop. It's a 30, it's an 18 and a half minute treatment. You've got machines now, you can do it in three, three and a half minutes a mm. day. You could have several in a day. But that worked, it's been amazing for me. So, it's been amazing for me, Reese, to be honest. The. The process of you being on antidepressants, trying a few different avenues, mm -hmm. going through different cycles, then you um, obviously being admitted to hospital, then having the two therapists, and now coming on to, is it TMS? Yep, TMS. Yep. And then having the the TMS and the speech therapy, what do you also find now um, to be triggers? Because obviously, I guess that, is is in an environment where you're you're sort of sat there and you know right it's something that might may help me after this and mm -hmm. then again the speech therapy you're in you're in an environment where you're feeling safe you can open up you know you can get things out but what now for people that are listening that go right okay I listened to what you said Brad um, but I need to be able to you know find or hit a root cause what what do you do when you're at that place where you, like you said, over Christmas, you're not necessarily having the best days. Time, yeah. 
what do you do to um, almost keep yourself, you know, going, keep, going keep. And, and making sure that you're, you know, positive and reinforcing everything as opposed to just relying, I guess, on the two treatments that do work for you. 100%. But, the, um, you need to have, well, for me personally, I need to have things that I can turn to mm. because you can't always have a treatment or you need things to get you through every day. Yeah. So I think it's something that I'm always going to live with and have that you all have these periods of ups and downs. Um, for me, I use mindfulness a lot. Yeah. So I use active, active things such as guided, but you might have heard the guided body scan mm. where I basically, I will be in my room or shut myself off and basically take myself through the different parts of my body, noticing how everything feels. Yep. And that just takes my mind back into me being here right now. Yeah. Because when I'm feeling in those moments, often it's something that is I'm thinking about that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. That could potentially happen or something that happened so far long ago that it is not affecting me right now. Yeah. And it's about, and it's bringing me back into what is actually going in now. Yeah. Yeah. And in that moment, what is going on? And it's just coming to terms with it. And I'll tell you what's actually helped, that's helped me to understand to feel my body, to feel my body more, to understand my body more. Yeah. I'm an injury prone person, Rhys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and now I'm, I'm fully more aware of just little things. Mm. Like, um, something in my ankle's not quite yeah. right there or, and I know and I'll go, I'm running and I'll twist it. <laughs> and I'll be like, I was yeah. right, I shouldn't have done that. Um, you, yeah. And uh, for me, exercise. Yeah, 100%. Only in recent times have I got onto the exercise one for me um running i've never, never been a gym person nah me either I, I, I go through phases in the gym where i'm three weeks on six months off <laughs> and exactly like i've always been like that. like that and this at the moment um i'm about i don't know how many weeks six, off? Six, <laughs> i'm six to eight weeks in yeah and it's this don't is the worry. longest most consistent i've been mm. um but and I've obviously started this when I started feeling a bit lower over Christmas time mm. and that's really helped me again really yeah. helped me to to um, sort of pull myself out of that and it's just I go there and I, I just feel more clarity afterwards mm. just it's, it's difficult to even explain I just feel better no, you mean, yeah I but just feel better yeah. you're also creating a habit as well though aren't you oh, 100% like you're also creating a different habit than what you had previously so um and a, and a commitment, I guess. Um, to mm-hmm. um, within that, I think acceptance does come into play. Like you said, with understanding your body, you're feeling your body. I think the acceptance of going right, I m- might not be necessarily having the best week or the best day. Okay, cool. I accept that. Then you're going into you know things that work for you, whether that's you know meditation, whether that's running, whether that's gym, the combination of all three or whatever, speaking to people. And then using those things to sort of dwindle yourself back into, you know, where you were or where you are. I think that's massive. Whereas sometimes I think people may look at things in such a a different way where it's a case of, all right, I'm feeling like this again or this is back on. And it's almost like a negative. It's like, all right, I've got, I've got to get rid of it. Why am I yeah. feeling like this again? And it's almost that resentment to what's actually going on. They're not accepting what's going on and you can always use what's going on to help you in the future i find whereas like you said knowing your body now i think you know what your body needs whether it's mm-hmm. right brad i need to go out for a run or i need to go to the gym or not you need to but for my state of mind 
that's going to help gonna be beneficial. me. Beneficial, you know. And I think people have got to try things that may not work to find things I've that will work. Many things that didn't work, and, you know, and, and to find the one that that is right for you. And what's mm. right for you is not going to be right for another person. Could like be a, walking a dog, exactly, literally. Exactly. It? I could sit here and say you should do this, this, and this because it worked for me. Mm. But that could be the completely wrong thing for somebody's listening. Hundred percent. And it's about them finding what works for them. But the word accept, the word acceptance you used, Reese, is is a big one and a big one for me really, because it was wasn't until I accepted that I have this mm. and it's always going to be there, and even accepted that I had taken an overdose and was able to say I've actually I took an overdose mm. because I wanted to die. Yeah. It was when I was able to do that that. Everything almost became easier for me. I was like, okay, yeah. this did happen. Yeah. But I don't have to be fully... Um, it doesn't have to hold me back. Yeah, you don't have to be saddened from you know what you did again because that was in, in the past. Everyone moves forwards. Yeah. And like you're saying, the acceptance becomes as a... is almost like a, a freeing of what you previously did in the past when you get to that state like we see, we see it so many times with people that maybe have um gone to war or not even necessarily gone to war mm-hmm. but things like you know um alton towers i think it was where you know on the, the accident. accidents where people had amputees and arms and legs blown up and you're coming out and you're seeing the interviews of these people and they're very very happy mm-hmm. and they're very accepting of what's happened to them they don't hold any regret or any sort of frustration towards let's say, for example, Orton Towers from yeah, the accident. It's almost like, right, I've accepted that. This has happened to me. I'm not going to get my leg back, but what I can control is my emotions, my thoughts, how happy I'm going to be and what I'm going to do in the future. I'm not going to allow something that happened maybe six months, a year ago, too much, the incident still there, carry on yeah, into what I do. And I think that's really, yeah, like you say, it's really important. 100%. I think once I've done that and once I did that and I was able to sit down and think, okay, Actually, so what do I want to do with my life now? Mm. And what do I want to do that's going to help me? And now I work within the mental health sector. Yeah. Um, and I've start, I'm in the process of start, or started a charity, mm. a charitable foundation to basically um, raise money. to for, So the local town that I'm from, this is where we're starting off, um, yeah. Southwood and Ferris, um, basically to to fund talking therapy to begin with brilliant um for um young people so up to and including the age of 35 Mm. um to to be able to have a talking therapy uh we're slowly in discussions with the local gps and trying to work out the best way route forward and we did a there was five of us six of us that ran a richmond marathon last year yeah so we have sitting there three thousand pounds of funding yeah ready to go and we've got a lot of events that we're thinking about planning for the year ahead the new year we're currently just waiting for the charity number to come through mm. that's been a whole different palaver on itself it's going to say what was the process oh, trying to so basically the process that we went through the uh, the foundation process you st- you fill in an application you have to say what you're doing it's a, a document I don't know 20-30 pages document and you have to fill it in and describe why you're doing it what you're doing how you're going to raise funds etc and then you send it into the charity commission mm. and when you send it in they tell you within 8 weeks you'll have a response whether it be yep yeah, 
yes or you need to change this or this or conflict of interest here or here mm. so i was like okay that's fine we submitted it once came back and it said conflict of interest somewhere you need to think about it so we did, did that cleared it up sent it again back in it was the first week of september mm. so eight weeks from there is the first week of november so in the first week of november i rang the charity commission and said when can i expect a, a decision yeah and at that point, they tell me, oh, sorry, sir, it's actually going to be 20 weeks from the week of submission, which comes Jeez. up in a few weeks' time, um, mm. mid-February, I think it works out to be. So I think part of my... Because I've been, I put a lot of work into that, and yeah, you know, I've got people on board, friends and who some have been through things, might not have been through things, but are all aware of the situation and all want to work to develop. Willing to help. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just to, at that point, you got kicked back. You're thinking, yes, we're ready to go. We've got the money. We're going to go. And then all of a sudden, you start, you can't, you've got to wait another mm. 16, 12, wherever it might be. Yeah. So that was like a, a little bit of a kick in the teeth. But um, I think, to be honest, that partly contributed to the process of me starting to get a bit um, despondent and lower as earlier or late last year but now I'm sort of back up rearing to go again yeah. and um, yeah, we're in the process of, of deciding what sort of events we're going to do this year we want to do um, want to get a, a, a football match on decent um, so I've got a winger right yeah. <laughs> old fashioned an old fashioned winger coming in um, yeah we want to get football um, a football game on and hopefully one of two ideas Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a few of us to do an ultra marathon in October. Decent. Sign or, me up. Yeah. Or there's this one, Reese, which is a, a bit mental, but I feel feel like it would raise a lot of money. It's a four day event from the source of the Thames right through to the Thames Barrier. Mm-hmm. Four running events. I think it's it's forty three miles day one. Forty three miles day one. Sixty miles day two. Forty seven miles day three. 31 miles day four mm-hmm. so the idea that we're sort of plotting around is that i'm going to do all four days yeah somehow you will be able somehow to. you know this is what i think this is why i'm in the gym trying to get my body strong so yeah <laughs> i'll make it through without having another operation and then people to join on each day because each individual event is is an ultra but you can split it up so you can have of course you can yeah. do it as a, a team so say the day of the 60 miles. It's like a relay. Yeah, a relay. You could have six people do 10. Mm. And we feel that way would be able to raise Because you're more including more money. people yeah, into, exactly. um, yeah, into the race. Or, yeah. you know, and it's an event, event that we can sort of organise and have more people. And on each day you'll have different people come down. Mm. I'll need the people to support me through the... Yeah, <laughs> a, a body double or... <laughs> any body doubles out there um yeah no that's i mean that sounds exciting and yeah so do you do you find like that your almost willingness now that you've gone through all of this and still are going through obviously um things yourself Mm. do you find that the excitement of you or the willingness of you wanting to help is also um helpful in oh, your recovery massively because you've gone through it so you know you know that potential that there is mm-hmm. help you you've gone through that phase so you know that certain things didn't will help might not but you've 
you know gone through things that do work so you're you want to show that you know others can potentially definitely it's it's been a massive massive help for me in terms of having a direction Mm. um even before any of this happened well before it happened i was i sort of knew what i wanted to do well i thought i did anyway Mm. i was doing the process of going i was going to go and then go to uni and then after that i was yeah i wanted to go into lecturing or whatever it was but really did i really want to do that or was it just the the way that it was going that's such an interesting thing that you bring up because i think we always especially from school i think we're taught from such a young age it's what are you going to do whether it's a case of college university mm-hmm. you're going to get a job it's those three things really aren't yep. it? what are you going to do college university. so in school you're figuring out depending on what your school does um primarily then what you're going to do unless you've got an interest a very obsessive interest in right this is me this is what i'm going to do uh, 79 percent of people are probably sitting there going i have no idea i have literally no idea what i'm going to do let me just go to uni i like doing cooking so i'm gonna you know go in and try and see what i do i like uh, being someone who's hands-on i'm gonna try and you know um, be an engineer or i'm I'm good at i'm good at science so i'll do that do we do do you actually enjoy science no but i'm good at it but then when you sit back and ask the question to yourself and you're like is this what i want to do or you know sometimes even things like uni being forced to Mm -hmm. go or not necessarily directly forced or pushed but it's almost like a it's like a peer pressure yeah or it's almost like you everyone in the family's gone to uni or you know you don't want to be that one so it might not even it's a again it's a subconscious feeling that you're like oh, i don't want to let someone down or you know it's that which i think is a killer sometimes because you i think you just got to let people grow and then whatever they fall into they fall into i think it, like what we said most you think you started making these life decisions at 16 years old hmm you're a child still. Don't know anything. You're a child. You're a full child. I'm, I'm 27 a child now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> exactly. Seriously. Exactly. Really. I'm the same. And at 16, you're making these decisions. You're going to do this BTEC, or you're going to do make do these these A levels. And once you've done those, then you can only go down a specific path. Mm. And I think we get into the um, the idea that you do that, and then you get a job, and then you're stuck in that job. Mm. But that, why? I know. Why? You well, can... you, you look at it now, don't you? Like, say, like sportsmen and women that uh, have done or played like football, or you say like Michael Jordan basketball, mm. and then ventures into a different sport. There's almost like a resentment and hate there, or and almost like, how can you be so arrogant to think that you're gonna be the best basketball player to potentially ever live to then go and be a, a professional baseball player? <laughs> well, what people don't understand is people have different interests. Yeah, of and course. Unfortunately for some people, they may not like to hear it. People are good at other things exactly. rather than just one specific thing. And I think it's the same thing with jobs. Some people are like, mm-hmm. right, this is me. I'm good. Have to stay in this job. I mean, and for some people that... Don't allow. And that's perfectly work. fine. Yeah, but yeah. I feel that we do, we can get lodged 100%. into it. You think, oh, I've got this job now, so I've got to stay in this job and move See up, how high and move up in this position, in yeah. this job. You could You could completely hate the company's company the people you work for the company's ethics but you feel i'm here now mm. but there's nothing stopping you like to say well i mean there are things financial reasons that some people have yeah. got themselves obliged that they can't take a pay cut or something but i think from what i've learned now I just I, I could go somewhere and probably earn more money mm. but i'd much rather wake up on whatever day and be like 
book it home and feel that was a satisfying day's work. I feel fulfilled. Yeah. That's it. That's so, such a good way to use that. Fulfilled. Yeah, because I, I, I see people who work really hard. I've seen it around me, mm. but they come home. They might have earned a good wage that year or whatever it is but do they actually enjoy what they're doing I've seen it really close to me in terms of family yeah. members and things do they actually enjoy what we, they're doing we, we yeah, people, people yeah. that are listening are probably like I'm in that case I don't <laughs> enjoy what I'm doing no it's, it's true isn't it and it's, it's easier said than done to be like alright pick up and mm. do something else but you know if you think about it start start think about it I think the key yeah I think also when you are even thinking about it and you are deliberating with your some people might sit there and think people expect people to just quit their job and then go into you know an idea of what they had when they were younger in some cases that works for people in most cases that's not going to work but it's a case of just going from something to something else that you may enjoy you may not and seeing if that works and if that works for you brilliant but then can you figure out finding other things that are giving you purpose or fulfillment from that. And I think once you get that, I think a lot of the time as well, people don't want to feel um, like pressured in jobs. Don't want to feel like they have to adhere to, I don't know, a hierarchy or, you know, a manager saying, right, you need to do this on a daily basis. And people like to feel a little bit free, free to make suggestions in the workplace or change structures. Otherwise, I think that's where people then start getting into, fucking hell, what am I actually doing here? Like, I'm coming to work. My boss is telling me what to do every single day. Most of the time, it's not good enough. They're moaning. They're getting told what to do by their boss and they're passing shit down to me. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't be creative. I can't suggest anything. Then after two, three, four, five, six, seven years in the job, I then shut off. I don't start suggesting anything because I know what the system's like and I know the youngsters coming in start thinking, oh, you know, I've got an idea of this. They just sit there. <laughs> but you'll be me in this moment. They yeah, just yeah. carry on and they just repeat the cycle and then you get stuck in a rut, don't you, where you're like, right, it pays me all right. I yeah. live a decent yeah, yeah. life. I go on three holidays a year. My my fun or my enjoyment is when I get my free holidays a year, and I think that's just such a dangerous way of living. Because personally, you think about that. That's what you say. Six weeks a year. Mm. So six weeks out of a fifty-two week year that you're happy. Doesn't quite. Doesn't for the rest make, of your life. Yeah. This. I mean, for us at our age, we're retirement. I don't know what the retirement age would be by the time we get there. But for, I can't. I can't even imagine mm. being sitting in a an office for me for that time and yeah. not doing I can sit in an office if it's something that I love and something that I enjoy and I'm passionate about yeah and I think that goes back to like you said the f- whole fulfilment I think it goes back to yeah, yeah. coming home from a very exhausting day a very demanding day a very challenging day a very an emotional day but at the end of it reflecting and going do you know I feel quite fulfilled today or do you know what I had a bit of purpose in what I did today or I helped someone or, you know, what my job or what my company is doing for this demographic mm. of people or mm-hmm. these people are really touching something and I, and I feel purpose. Yes. Whereas you're coming home and you're like, I've been working seven till seven. I have had hardly any lunch break, bosses on my ass, mm-hmm. tons of emails to do. I've done that for six days straight. I've got one day of the weekend and I'm back on it again. I've got no time. You, it's You've got to find a balance. And I think 
the balance is get the fuck out of that job <laughs> then you're working seven to seven it's so, it's so true Reese. i used to do uh, i used to work for um a company that we did health assessments mm. and it was a lot of people who had the insurance through the the people that i worked for and so they'd get a free say free through the company but they get a health assessment every year mm. a lot of these people were london businessmen they worked in whatever it might be insurance banking whatever it might be yeah and I've got these people who are 45, 50, whatever it might be, sitting in front of me, and it's like their one moment of relaxation. Mm. And the amount of these men who are earning a lot of money would sit there with me and say, I don't see my children. Yeah. Or I, 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 leave, yeah, I, leave, I leave home at six to get the train to then get to work, and I get home at eight and the kids are just about to go to bed so I kissed them on the head mm. and I was like so you know how do you want to change your life are you, are you happy not really mm. what could you do differently oh, I could do this and actually change this and we sit there and they come out, actually I can do this I can create more time by doing this this and this mm. I'll see them a year later Any we have it all up from what we talked about last time anything implemented no straight back into the routine the rat race mm. And it's, I mean, for some for work, for some people, brilliant. But for the people who I know that actually don't really want to be in it, but I've got stuck mm. in that situation, it's sad. They're not happy. No. We only get to do this life thing once. And then you, it starts going into such a massive crazy scale when you're talking about, you know, that, that guy with the, the kids or yeah. the kid that where he hardly sees them. Because they'll grow up. Not really, not really knowing their dad, and then there's so many things that can come from that. I don't really know my dad. I can't really relate to my dad. I can't really express myself because you don't really have that relationship. Mm -hmm. They might be there on my birthday. They might be there at Christmas. It's so true. On holidays, but they're not really there because they're on their phone. Don't remember the day to day. Yeah, and it's you can't. That's what I mean. You can't again linking it back to ages ago now. You can't sort of link that physical and emotional and social element to being one-to-one like we are now Mm -hmm. across from each other talking. You know, if you're expressing yourself to your father and wherever it is from whatever age all the way up, they can give you so many different tools or so many things to try and help guide that. Whereas if they're kissing you on your head goodnight and you can't talk to them, you know, you you're, you're not building a relationship with them. You won't build a, but also you're not then building a relationship with anyone else because mm-hmm. you're going to form resentment, 100%. or you'll try and build a relationship outside of other things that show you some interest, which may or may not be good for you. Positive, yeah, may, definitely um, may, not, may not be positive. Which is crazy. What um, in terms of uh, food and mm-hmm. mental health? What's your take on? What's your take on that? I'm have not been the best with food. Yeah, and I know that when I've been in my moments of uh, of lower periods, it's even worse. But I can say in the last, it's like in this in this last six months where I've put in a lot of different things into action, and I've been trying to eat healthier. Mm. My vegetable intake has upped. I mean, I spoke to you a few a few months ago. Yeah, your your recipes. Yeah, yeah. your vegan. I've had recipes from you that I can use. um, Really reduce my um, meat consumption. Mm. 
And uh, one thing, it could it's probably just me again, but hydration. Oh, that's massive. Hydration. That I now carry around a bottle with me. Mm. And I'm fully aware now of when I'm dehydrated. You haven't got the Love Island bottle though, have you? No, no, it's not. Oh, I, was gonna no, say. I mean, I've got friends who've got the Love Island bottle. Yeah. yeah. Have you got it? Nah, my mess. She generally has. Nah, but no, hi- hydration's key massively. Um, I think it's very, very underrated. And um, even little things like in the morning, the first thing, I mean, you can do is hydrate yourself, mm. which is very, very good. Um, if you don't hydrate yourself first thing in the morning, you'll um, you've just you think you've been asleep for six, seven, eight, nine hours, wherever it might be, yeah. without taking in any fluid at all. Yeah, and I think also the um, the importance of the types of fluid you're having at the right times as well yeah, yeah. Um, is key. Just wanted to read a little. Um, it was quite long, so I'll try and be quite brief of it. A little study. Um, well, it's from the landing page on the mentalhealth.org.uk mm-hmm. um, website and the links between food and mental health. I'll just read what they said. Yep. There is, um, there's research to suggest what we eat may affect not just our physical health, but our mental health. Eating a well-balanced diet rich in vegetables and nutrients may be associated with helping the well-being. In a 2014 study, it found that high levels of well-being were being reported by individuals who ate more fruits and vegetables. A recent study um, that emits a diet in high fruit and vegetables, legumes, nuts, beans, seeds, grains, fish and saturated fats such as olive oil, supplemented fish oil, led to a reduction in depression amongst certain participants, which was six months after our uh, invention. The importance of good nutritional intake at an early age is exploited in multiple studies, including a systemic review in 2014, which found that a poor diet with high levels of saturated fat, refined carbs and processed foods were linked to a poorer mental health in children and adolescents. I think that's that's, that's quite interesting. Very interesting. So it's basically like the Mediterranean diet mm. as for physical health. And obviously, now from what you've just read, is the is the diet for the way forward? Hmm. And I think it's also like you say the um, the importance to figure out what works for you. I mean, if you're someone who, um, for whatever reason, doesn't like meats or mm-hmm. can cannot tolerate fish, try and figure out what works for you. I think that's the key here. Is and also try not to see it as like a, a diet. I think that's that's the key message for me i think it's seeing it as a lifestyle so for someone who might be sitting here and going well i'm on that spectrum where it's highly processed um carbs highly processed um you know all the time i'm eating out i'm eating frozen pizzas which i like to call dead food which Mm -hmm. is you know frozen food it's not fresh um I'm on that spectrum. Try and gradually figure out what works for you. So what foods do you like? What can you tolerate? And then go from there. Because I think if you're someone who um, looks at that and goes, right, it that's the diet, that's going to be that, and you just solely take that for its purpose, I think that's when there becomes issues because you're not, you're not adhering to... Um, you're not adhering to your body to allow it to change naturally. You're just going off of 
what someone else's advice is on a and particular study you, and I think you've just got to be quite careful you won't maintain the change if you if you some people can but the majority of people if they jump into something mm. both feet like that that drastic change yeah at some point their body goes wait that chocolate that chocolate pudding that we have every now and then why haven't we had that yeah and then that craving becomes more and more and more it's, mm. got, it's, a, it's a, a gradual yeah a gradual process to get from one type of diet to the other and it doesn't mean that you can't have oh uh, I think that you can't have your days when you I, want I think the whole thing with and I used to be a massive you know like chocolate lover like mm. big one pound big bars from the shop I used to have yeah. one of them probably every day I reckon growing up but I think that links into things with like advertising and stuff that's starting to kill especially the older generation or the younger females and stuff like that with how bodies and stuff are perceived and a lot of things like that is like no carbs before marbs and even <laughs> things like you know you don't you'll rarely see um many uh instagram pictures with a topless not a topless model but models with um you know very pristine bodies holding a chocolate bar there's nothing that's advertised like that so subconsciously people feel when they do change their lifestyle within food that they cannot have that and i think that's grossly false so i think yeah. you've got a, again linking back to understanding your body and and knowing okay you know i've had a, i've had a heavy day today i've gone to the gym i've done this or i've gone for a swim i've gone for a long run you know i've fueled myself after with fruits and vegetables or whatever you're eating hopefully fresh and then if you are feeling like you want a snack have a snack have i think snack. so many people try and you know, it's almost a case of trying to neglect or trying to resist something where it just goes the complete opposite way. And then they'll just turn around and say, well, that didn't work for me. Your body tells you. Mm. When you start craving things, that's your body saying to you, I need this. 100%, yeah. I need I need a bit more sugar in, my, in the body. We're, we're breaking down here. Mm. Our stores are low. Our glycogen stores are low. We need some sugar or yeah. we need, I need protein. I need something... Mm. You need the nutrients and yeah. obviously the vitamins to survive. Your, your like body tells you. Need you need to make sure that you can um, you can utilize obviously your whole fat stores by making sure that you're not just someone who's having. I don't know. So every everyone's different, but I don't think you can if you're going from let's just say highly processed foods to then going for it. You have to have somewhere in between where if you want to have a chocolate bar, mate, have a chocolate bar all the time what did i what did i what did i show you earlier what did i bring you earlier oh everyone everyone who might be listening to this in nose reese getting to make you these these peanut butter fudge cake things they are divine but that's what i mean i literally i try and find things that so basically all of that peanut butter fudge is is three ingredients so it's peanut butter and 100 percent peanuts so um no sort of oil added or anything like that um, so it's 100% peanuts. It's literally just that. And I'll use carob powder because I find like cacao powder uh, gives me a bit of a headache after a while. Okay. And I don't know, there's some su- studies to say certain things that messes with people's brains. So mm-hmm. I use carob powder. Um, so yeah, it's that um, carob powder and then um, just hemp seeds, Okay. Uh, which is optional. And then just a tiny bit of maple syrup whizzed in a blender so it forms together like a little fudge and then just put in a, a small container press down and spit on some hemp seeds and whatever you want and then put in the freezer literally that 
That's it. So carrot powder, peanut butter, and a little bit of maple syrup. How long did it take you? To make that? Yeah. Well, like two minutes? Exactly. Because people always think something that's, I mean, that's a that's a, a nice snack. Like yeah. a sweet, brings out the sweetness in you. Yeah, we ate, we ate, we ate two we, each. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. two. Yeah. Um, but, but <laughs> I've had like <laughs> 10 already in one day. <laughs> but, yeah. but people obviously think things that are, we seem to be good for you take time mm. and that's a false narrative yeah that is a false that was quicker than actually making a proper like an old school chocolate brownie yeah oh yeah 100% where you got to use your arm and <laughs> yeah. stir it for, for 10 years get a shoulder rake that and they I'm telling you everyone they were divine yeah appreciate it no but I mean I think the the actual longest thing I guess for people starting would be outsourcing and figuring out where to where to find sort of recipes and stuff like that, I guess. Um, and I think, again, the key is just going on, again, using a tool that actually helps you. Social media, yeah, Pinterest, this is, this going is the, on YouTube. This, this is so a place many. where social media now, one of the benefits from it, mm, 100%. Can, opens you up to loads of positive things. People wanted fitness regimes. Mm. You, could, you could follow someone who does follow fitness regimes. You've yeah. got um, people who, if you are specific dietary requirements, you've got pages to, associated just to meals from them. Yeah. All... Five minute meals, ten minute meals, yeah, fifteen yeah. minute meals. It like the information is out there. Mm. It's a case of actually wanting to go out and yeah, actually search for it. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and that's key. And yeah, just wanted to touch on that in terms of that again as well because people listening in might have gone right. Um, you, you know, listen to what you're saying. Hmm. You know, gone through this whole principle. Um, and not necessarily probably addressing, right, I might need to change a few things in terms of, you know, what I'm eating to yep. try and help myself as well because obviously that will be, a, you know, be helpful in, in, again, the whole process of moving you forwards. It's not just the, you know, um, potential tablets if you're on them. It's not just the um, TMS. It's not just the um, speech therapy. It's a combination and it's lifestyle. You th- it's the lifestyle is the one. You think... We all think of our, we call it physical health, mm. and men, they're both. It's your overall health. Yes, yeah, well being. What yeah, it's well being. It's what you what you put into your body, mm. is going to affect everything. It's not you can't like your you, your head isn't just a separate part of your body that's completely separated yeah. from from everything down. Actually, a friend uh, said this to me the other day. He said uh, we're talking about mental health of some sort, and he said I don't like to call it mental health. I like to call it mental fitness. Mm. Because he said, I think of it as my physical fitness. As in, he's, he, he runs yeah. now. and he's, So he's like, I want my mental fitness to also be high. Yeah. And it's putting in, doing things that helps his maintain his mental fitness. Mm. Right. Because we all have mental health. It's the health is, you know, it's overall in general. It's, we have physical health. It's changing it the label, isn't it? Yeah. He's yeah. like, it's mental. It's my, he said, it's my personal mental fitness. Mm. And it's, he said he'd stopped drinking alcohol to improve his mental fitness just like he stopped drinking alcohol to improve his physical fitness yeah they came hand in hand that's a, that's such an interesting point massively because i i found that that's helped me as well i have well, since i be for june time i think yeah since june time um and again alluding to um earlier the conversation i had about uh the breakup of my ex yes, there was a yes. lot of um early alcohol and stuff involved and yeah. 
a lot of overreaction. I got the nickname Rogue Harris because um, <laughs> just little things like you know I, I would do certain stuff um, when I was intoxicated, and you know um, things that I regret. I'm, I'm you know messaging you know the ex like nasty messages and stuff like that, yeah, and yeah. all of those things you know you you'd do um, under the influence. Yeah, under the influence. Do, yeah. Um, and but even as I was getting older and thinking that I was you know moving through these sort of things, and you know you'll get you're you're drinking and you're just drinking for the set. For me, it was I was drinking for the sake of it. But then when I would drink. Um, it would bring up certain emotions and certain thoughts mm-hmm. to me. I just thought, I just thought, I don't need this in my life. And yeah. I just remember saying to myself after um, Ibiza last year, June time. So I'm just gonna, you know, just not drink when I don't want to drink. I wasn't mm-hmm. like I wasn't saying oh, I'm gonna not drink for a year or whatever. It was a case of, do you know what? Don't if it's to. if it's something that I feel like I want to do, have a drink, uh, have a drink. If it's I don't need to, then I won't need to. And I think, yeah, it's nearly, yeah, what, seven, eight months since I've been And it's just, yeah, yeah, and I feel so much better for it. And I just, you know, for me, it was a case, uh, a lot of things now are based around, you know, um, social. So, like, even you're having dinner and it's, all right, do you want a glass of wine? Or, you know, do you want a drink? And for me, it was a case of I didn't see why I needed, you know, to have a glass of wine or whatever it is while having dinner you know it just didn't register in my head so that's such an interesting point in terms of um yeah the mental fitness and taking away that side of things i was really first of all i was really surprised because this particular friend i went to uni with him and i know that he could drink drink yeah quite extensively and get himself into certain situations Mm. off the back of the drinking um, some stories I'll probably tell you off here yeah. <laughs> um, but for him to say that I was like wow mm. he, he'd sort of evaluated and said actually I don't need this no. and he realised he can still have a good time without it mm. sometimes I think oh we really need to and some people just enjoy it and they can yeah. they don't it doesn't bring out any um, negative qualities that they you know when they're doing it but for some others negative things are associated with the alcohol yeah like you said you were doing things that sober Reese wouldn't do no and then i guess feelings of i guess guilt afterwards when you're doing things like that or yeah almost um ashamed of things that you might have done and because it's not the real if you no so again it's, it's another tool to mask a pain or an emotion that you're feeling oh, yeah, isn't it definitely at the time. I, I used it you know I, it's a case of you know um someone ended a relationship uh, of of years on years even though that i was very wrong in the relationship Mm. but i wasn't dealing with that emotional side of it so i used something to mask that and from that certain stuff come out of you know the the intoxication but i think it's it's also interesting to point out that um people on the receiving end of the social circle so if you're someone who is listening and saying yeah drink it does associate certain things and i do want to come off it or i do want to just take a break from it i think people listening in and as, as friends of that if someone goes out and you're in a social circle going out for dinner or just going out for a drink with mates mm. be accepting and allow it to be a case of you're going for a catch-up don't yeah. see it as you're going for drinks and don't see it as if someone says oh do you want a drink i'm getting some drinks at the bar and they say yeah i have a lemonade don't you don't necessarily have to be like oh why are you not drinking you yeah, know because yeah. there's putting the extra from pressure. that you're trying to then create pressure onto someone 
who is also then at the same time already, you know, Mm. feeling a certain way, whether it's a little bit of anxiety in the case of, I don't want to have to then say why I'm not drinking, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then, or have to keep making excuses and excuses for I'm not drinking. I think you just got to try and be, again, like we were talking about earlier, being acceptant of the individual, your mates and, or whoever it is really. We're all different and we all change. Mm. So what one person would have done two years ago, yeah, that person might not do exactly that same thing yeah. two years down the line. And you need to be open to knowing that that person is not that same person. You mm. might be. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, no. that's, yeah, that's completely fine. But you have to be aware that people do develop and they go through different situations in life, whatever it might be, mm. and they do grow in a, in a way yeah. to be a, a slightly different person each day. Yeah, that's that's interesting. What um, let's try and try and wrap this up the best way. <coughs> Sorry. For the thousandth cough of the evening. Yeah, I know. Um, struggle. From everything that you've gone through. Yep. To people listening in, or to someone listening in, and they may have an idea of potential friend or someone that isn't necessarily close to them or that are close to them what would you say in terms of firstly their ability to um, help themselves mm-hmm. also secondly your advice um, again linking with um, some of the things that have and haven't worked for you and also just some perspective on what your life's like now um, to what it was like before everything happened Mm -hmm. and also how you may or may not um, have almost accepted what has happened and to get to where you are and almost to be maybe a bit are you happier than what you actually were before everything happened? Mm. Things like that. And not necessarily are you happier, but are you at a point where you you know, this has happened to me, I'm fully embracing it, and this is where I am, and this is where I am with it. Uh, just to answer that last bit. Um, yeah. I have accepted what's what what's happened from going back to the car accident, everything's happened beforehand. I've, I know that... Um, this sort of um, depression was has, has always been there and I look back on times before that and I think, oh, maybe that was actually, that was the start and signs of things that were mm. um, possibly underlying but never really fully came out but they were on their way. Yeah. And it was just that the trigger, the accident was the trigger for me for it all to sort of explode. Mm. Um, in terms of me looking back to from before everything happened to now, um Happy is a is a weird word. Oh, I'm yeah. Um, if it's, I think a, it's relative, but I feel more content. Yeah, that's the think of word I would use. I feel more content within myself, and I know myself better. Yeah, I know what I want. I know. I don't particularly know when I say I want. I want. I don't mean I don't know. I definitely want to be in this job or do this or that. Mm. But I'm more confident to make decisions. Instead of just going with the flow, which I used to do at times, 
Um, I do what's, I try to do what's right for me, mm. which isn't always an easy thing to do, but um, I've learned to put myself first. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's the one bit of advice, I guess, from myself that I'd, I'd, I'd say to people is, yes, be um, kind to people, look out for other people, 100%. I do. I've got a group of people that I always, that I know go through things that we'll check on each other. I send a message just, yeah. But put yourself first. Which are not in a selfish way. Well, actually, no. In a, I'm going to take that back. Hundred percent in, in a, a selfish way. Yeah. Um, for your own, for your own well-being. Sometimes you need to say to someone, you might feel like you have to do something with them. You say no. Um, I need this day to do this. Or. But I think the selfish is such a. It's a weird way of going around things because for you if you know yourself and understand yourself and you know you need that time or you know you need that um certain amount of space to um process and deal with certain things mm-hmm. or you know you need to do this um to progress yourself forwards that's yeah. for me that's not being selfish being th- that being selfish is the person or the people on the other, rece- other end receiving it as being mm-hmm. selfish and because the not- they haven't processed or understood themselves i think if they were in that position where they fully understood themselves and knew them, they would know and they would be able to pick up by knowing you as the individual that, okay, cool. Cool. Well, they, you need no, to do that. You, yeah, you or, made that decision, it's fine. Yeah, and it's, mm-hmm. and it's not, a, you know, you're looking at it from the standpoint, oh, why, is it, why is this person being so, it's almost a case of, bang, I know that what that person needs to do, go and do it. No, I know you need time. Take, Take time. time to yourself. I know, I know this is what you need to do for whatever reason cool go and do it I don't think that I think sometimes it's the person on the receiving end that tries to twist it um, but yeah that's that's, that's very true and um, I mean in terms of I guess things to look out for a, a resource that I've used and I think is very very handy if you just want to understand more mm. is mentalhealth.org.uk is mentalhealth yeah mentalhealth.org.uk yeah. there's a lot of information on there you know, like we were talking about trying to understand. Mm. Um, that's a, a website that I use to, or have used. There's different publications on there about um, dealing with stress or dealing with, you think you might have depression or anxiety, and just little mm. tips and things to understand what is happening. Yeah. Um, and you've got sort of more statistics on there and it, it's, it's quite a good resource. Mm. Quite a big spread. Um, and for people who might be worrying about somebody else sometimes it might be difficult to try and open that discord mm. between them because it's not a topic you want to often people want to bring up and say like are you okay mm. and then especially amongst the, like, you go out with your, your friends and be like all right mate you're like, yeah yeah but no one be going like, no but actually how are you yeah how are you not you okay yeah i'm good yeah i'm good and it's just sort of left. That's how yeah, of course. you'd greet someone. At a moment, someone you've got to say, no, but how are you, mm. actually? That could be like, brilliant. I've got this going on, this going on, this going on. Perfect. Actually, I've been a little bit thing, something that work's been going on. Okay. And then that mm. might open a dialogue to talk about that in a bit more detail. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be, you know, an intense, what's going on? What's wrong with you? No. I, I Yeah. I think it's... 
again sort of linking into earlier chat we we're talking about football it's the um knowing the individual as well i think yeah. isn't it yeah, yeah. Like how to re- approach them yeah having the relationship and knowing how to approach the situation and again just sort of being um is to listen again like you said earlier and not um coming from it from a judgmental point of view i guess there's sort of um shoes and shoelaces isn't there there's Mm -hmm. something that you both need um if you're wanting to tell someone you want to tell someone who you feel like is not going to be judgmental or look down on you so from that standpoint you're sort of you're waiting for that right opportunity and then if you're someone on the other side of the coin who is very much warm very receiving very open very non-judgmental and you you approach the topic at the right time with the right mindset with the right frame and the right understanding that whatever this person says you're not going to judge them you're not going to make them feel a certain way that will flow and I think also socially as well even if it is your friend hmm. you're got you're going to build such a bigger relationship because you're the understanding between the two you'll probably find gets deeper because there'll be stuff that they will want to bring up. Do you know what, the, like I pointed you and smiled then because you said that I have, there's certain people around me um, from like a friendship wise where like the friendship's even grown more mm. since I've been for everything. Um, and we're like more in tune. Yeah. So like over Christmas when I wasn't um, like, wasn't feeling great before that, one of my friends messaged me, he was like, um, we need to do something. And then uh, he was like, I'm coming round, just came and chatting and that. And he was like, I could tell something's not quite right. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. And it's cool. I mean, I'm quite open. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, um, not everyone's going to be like that. Some people won't want to be open at all. And that's the best way for them to deal with whatever they're going through. But I am quite open, which is, um, which works for me. But I mean, yeah, as I was talking about, I've got certain friends that, our bond has got even closer since because we we're sort of on a deeper understanding mm. of feelings or emotions that we didn't really discuss before because don't do that it's because you're it's because you're on a different it's like a different frequency almost isn't it that yeah, yeah. like you said how you doing yeah i'm all right you're right yeah i'm good how are you actually doing oh do you know what i've been really down lately mm. um my relationship's getting really bad. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to turn to. I've been feeling, you know, a certain way. And then that person comes from it from a different. And then, again, that frequency of just understanding someone else's point of view as well. And going, that's fine. Yeah. Like it's perfectly normal how you're feeling. I, you know, I may have gone through something similar. I have whatever, they're, and then they're relaying that, and it's honestly you don't, you don't know the that of connection is that, just that has happened to with me over mm. the last however long time, and I let people just reach out to me and say, actually, I've not been feeling too good, Brad. Mm. People that I've never would never have said it before. Yeah, is this? Uh, like, yeah, and we have an open conversation about it, mm. and I think the thing to um, to try and think and remember is there is a there's a way out Mm. there is a way to get from the darkest place you could possibly be and i mean there's no i'm no point saying that i'm in the point in my life where i want to be whatever whatever it might be or Mm. i haven't got um the the final or i mean the 
job that's perfect for me right now or nothing's perfect but you can come out of it and get to mm. a place of being content but also those things are very external aren't they exactly the, the job the car the um holidays the the emotional and the connection side are all internal the way you feel the connection you have with someone the conversations you have with someone the the deep empathy you have with someone they're mm-hmm. all things that you can't buy they're all emotions and all feelings that are attached to the inner self not what you can go to tesco's and buy unfortunately it is it is the word yeah the word content is just the word that Mm. um and i probably haven't felt that in this way even beforehand because i was doing this uni thing to then do this and do that and i had to it was always well now i'm sort of well i I might want to do actually go to do this course at uni Mm. But I'm not going to be defined by that course. Yeah, of course. If that makes sense. Yeah, you're not letting that be the definition of what Bradley Fleming's life's going to be like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're letting whatever you enjoy, whatever processes you go through and come out the other side. What's happening in this moment. Trying and just enjoy what's going on. Sure. Just at this moment, in this time, and not let Mm. something that might happen or something that has happened affect my overall mood in this moment course and i think that's it that's that that is all i've got to say really recently (laughs) from my own um from my own experiences and how yeah i think yeah that's that's spot on mate the the i think the the things to take from this conversation are so broad and Mm. if you need to again um i'll try and find some links i'll get brad to send me some links um so he's obviously mentioned mentalhealth.org.uk um and um was it baby mind and so i mean um if anyone's feeling in terms of um you know bad and suicide or whatever thoughts Hmm. you've got the samaritans yeah they're open 24 7 seven days a week at the phone call um that's a free phone call yeah Um, one one six one two three. That's the phone number. It's a nice and easy number. One one six. One one six one two three. They've also got an email. Um, Joe at Samaritans dot org. Um, for young people, um, you've got Papyrus. They're um, a prevention of young suicide. Yeah. Um, they're for people under the age of thirty five. They also have a phone um, a phone number. Um, the Hopeline UK number. Oh eight hundred oh six eight four one four one. Well, they've also got a text number, which is oh seven seven eight six two oh nine six nine seven. And then you've also got one 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 service, the NHS one 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 service. Um, and in obviously extreme cases, for this is maybe people and for yourself and family members or friends or who may be concerned. Ring nine nine nine. Yeah, of course. In terms of um, the anxiety mm. um, and depression for parents listening who have um, younger children, um, let's say from the age of eleven to sixteen, seventeen, um, the process that you said you went through of like the PTSD, do you feel mm. like that can be another tool in case? Uh, as well as the medication side of things yeah i mean um i I don't know specifically about the research behind it or or in terms of the the rewind therapy yeah but uh, it 
worked for me. Mm. Um, so it, I think that is definitely another tool to the toolbox yeah. of things that you can find. Um, I think people that might be, you know, parents are like, I don't, my, my kids are on antidepressants or whatever. Mm. And they're probably thinking, I don't want them on them constantly. Can we try something? And even if they're obviously still on them when they're trying this, again, another tool from the toolbox. Exactly. And then if, if it helps, then obviously they can speak to um, their GPs and stuff and then say, look, this is working for us. Can we then start, you know, building a process? Having been within the the system, the system does work Mm. in terms of the NHS system. It does does work, but it it might just be a little bit clunky sometimes or a bit slower than would be ideal. Mm. But getting yourself within the system is where you want to be, really. I I always like the saying that there's there's a lot of good people on the front line of the NHS, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that restrict the NHS for other needs and other gains, unfortunately. Yeah, you could have said it more perfectly yourself. For but, Paris, that was perfectly worded. You know, 100%. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll hopefully get together again soon and um, speak about hopefully well not hopefully speak about the charity work and yeah, the events and stuff you got coming up because i think that's um that's going to be good and i think it'd be good as well to um have people that are listening in to um you know tap into what you're doing and then hopefully yeah try and 100%. generate a, a, a community from there and build things through that's 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 the hope and the you know the goal to slowly build and build and yeah and the charity actually start helping more and more people when when we started we said if we help one person then we'd have it would have made a difference yeah um so we've now got the the funding to be able to do that for that one person and mm. more and we just want it to we want it to keep going and progress and mm. and we'll we'll see where we get to can't have yeah. a thousand pound if you don't have a penny, mate. There we go. You got to start you know somewhere, I mean? haven't you? Got to start with that one p first. You've got to start somewhere. So um yeah. So the charity the charity is called the um, so this I've got to pronounce this right now oh. Marama Foundation now we're just going to call it Marama because no one can keep making that noise right okay it's, <laughs> it's a, um, a a Maori word mm. so um, um, New Zealand it means bright or clear brilliant so obviously I was I was living in New Zealand and that's mm. when I started off getting into my worst and that word just sort of stuck with me in terms of that brightness and the clarity of mind and that's where the name came from brilliant so um yeah that's the name on on facebook it's the marama foundation m-a-r m-a-r-a-m-a um and on instagram as well it's the same you'll see some quotes on there and a few links to different things and some pictures of when we we did the marathon and in october and any updates on what's going on yeah you'll find it yeah on either of those two Decent, decent. Top man, cheers for coming in, Brad. No, thank you very much for having me, Rissy. That's all right, top man. Guys, thanks for listening into the podcast. As you would have heard, a very open and honest um, discussion with Brad and I about um, our life stories and the things that we've gone through. Hopefully, you can take away something um, from the information Brad's given you. I will link everything um, in terms of websites um, and sort of treatments that. Um, Brad has used um, that have helped him and also again just using the um, avenues as a tool to try and see if those things will help you or for someone else who you know who may need them as well again stay tuned for more podcasts to follow Um, 
this one was a really good podcast for me because um, sort of again releasing some of the emotions and things that I've been through as well so um, appreciate Brad for being that um, that guy that can listen and uh, again give me some information and some uh, knowledge on things that I can do to progress myself forward stay tuned for more to follow peace